have the ability to influence and shape the lives of people with the things we say, how we act, and the choices we make with it. This is it. We're, we're, we're here already. We're here. We're family. When you're here, when you're, you're family. When you're here listening <laughs> to this podcast, you're family. Family. You're part of the Hart Ellsburned family. family. And Newt. And Newt's and Ellsburn. We decided, well, we decided that Newt is officially part of the pod squad. She is. If you could see this. She's here. You could see her jump off the chair behind me. Into the frame. Too bad you can't. Too bad you can't, because this is a podcast. I just saw her do it again. <laughs> What's that fucking quote that's like, and how do you think we feel? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it's a anyway. good one. I hope, okay, honestly, I might be breaking the mic like every two seconds. You're good for now. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, hopefully this sounds good. Last time, I noticed that I pretty much sounded like a robot the whole oh, time. Oh, no. But that's kind of just who I am. Like, as I talk, like, I have a weird voice. So. <laughs> I'm Haley. I'm Cece. <laughs> this is OG Yeah, this is our podcast. We're on episode 11. We've reached the 10-episode milestone. Oh, my God. I didn't even think yeah, about it's, that. Yeah, that's a milestone. We surpassed mm-hmm. it. That really is like we did it ten times. Well, that's a I lot know for me. It's like doing homework that much. <laughs> Whenever you start Same. something, it's always like, how long will this last? Yeah. You know, like you never know. And obviously, it helps yeah. that it's a fun podcasting network to be a part of. Yeah. And and we have and, each other. Well, I was gonna say mostly it's because we have each other. Like, really, if this mm-hmm. were anyone. Else, I probably would be like, yeah, I'm done with this. It's not know, as much literally. fun as I thought it would be. So, And I kind of hate you. But so. that's impossible with Haley Hart. But because it's Cece. Oh, we just said the same thing. I do not. <laughs> yeah. We're like best friends or something. <laughs> I really hate letting down Cece because she's my friend and because I actually like her with my whole heart and soul. Oh. Normally, I can let people down in a fucking snap. And I actually do let Cece down. (laughs) I was going to say, you've never let me down, so you've held to it. I literally bail on you for this podcast. Like, if we say a date, it's usually four more times. But can I tell you, I appreciate people like that because I'm the same way. Where I like people that don't get mad at me when I cancel a plan. Because... Oh. Chances are, well, I really do want to hang out with you. It's just like, I'm not feeling the day, mm-hmm. you know? So I also appreciate oh, yeah, friends that are okay with rescheduling. Because I love rescheduling all the time. Yeah. I'd reschedule everything if I could. Me too. But then you just got to do it sometimes. Yes. And that's, what's the, that's the thing that I think I'm grateful for. Is because it's CC. 
I do want to reschedule. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> wanting to reschedule. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's our friend manifesto. Yes. We have to talk <laughs> about our hashtag that we mentioned oh, last episode. Oh, hashtag and just now when we opened yes. this. Yes. <laughs> hashtag spooky scary CC. Say it fast. Say it five times fast. I tried and failed, and that's just who I am. <laughs> but we had a couple people reach out. Only our only our most loyal friends and listeners. This is true. To be honest. And I guess we only have two of them. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both very important people to us. Yeah, these are important and people. True to our word. Um, but don't don't listen. If you're these people, we don't really care about you. <laughs> But true to our word, don't take that to true heart. True to our word, we <laughs> promise that everyone who commented on our social media or like anywhere, the hashtag spooky scary cc, if they commented scary that or CC. post anything, um, anywhere. we would each say something that we love about that person. And, okay. and we'd give them a Here's shout out. Who, who did it? Well, Noah F contacted me. <laughs> Noah F. Yeah, and Alonzo G contacted both yes. of us. <laughs> so I think that he gets two special shout outs. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, big. What's your favorite thing about Alonzo? This is so hard. Sorry to every other listener. This is so hard. Um, <laughs> if everything were a suitable answer, that would be my answer. Um, but yeah. because I can't say everything, because that's a cop out. I would say his laugh, Alonzo's laugh, is contagious. Oh, that is so true. And it's so contagious that when he laughs, his eye twitches. This is true. <laughs> and we love him. But that's a like a ligament thing. So <laughs> I like that about him. But that's not the only thing I like about him. I'm going to say this for both Noah and Alonzo, but I've never not had a good time with either. True. I love them, and I always have a good time. And Noah actually is like a newer friend of mine. We've always known each other, but we don't con- we haven't connected. And at least on my end, Noah, this is my, I guess, confession. <laughs> <laughs> love you, bitch. And I feel like we are better friends now than ever. Oh, so there's my that. favorite thing about <laughs> Noah F is his mustache. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. That's a good fucking mustache. Oh, yeah. Just stash. And I w- we weren't going to mention this, but I'm going to. Alonzo and Noah, beef. They got oh, they beef. They do have beef because Haley put them together in a group <laughs> Snapchat. And I don't think they know each other at all. But she threw all of us no. into the same Snapchat group. And it <laughs> for was my chaos. Birthday, <laughs> yeah, for her birthday. It was stupid. <laughs> Alonzo called Noah Lord Farquad. <laughs> Noah got sat in the backseat of an Uber van. It was a very eventful Saturday morning. And now we should stop talking about these people that nobody else knows. <laughs> Perhaps, yes. <laughs> so if you skipped all of that, that was a good idea. <laughs> and now you can start listening again. Well, and maybe <laughs> you will, you know, send that hashtag to other places and we can talk about you. Oh, yeah. If you want that. How Does anyone want that, though? Spooky Scary CC lives on. Spooky Scary CC. 
It doesn't even have to be a hashtag because the algorithm doesn't even need it yeah. anymore. <laughs> Just use those three words, um, one after the other. I don't know what the word is for that. <laughs> like sequentially? Like <laughs> Yeah, sequentially. Couldn't think of it. Apparently. Um, and then we will shout you out. Even if you're not, you don't even fucking listen. You just happen to say spooky, scary yeah. CC. <laughs> anyway. CC, I wrote some shit down nice. here. Some banter. I, I wrote down, I pre-planned our banter. Okay. So. I have a scary story. <laughs> because it's how. You all should have just seen the way <laughs> Haley moved her head. <laughs> scary story. It was like a snake. Imagine a worm. <laughs> Imagine a worm. <laughs> Imagine our worms from fifth grade that we... Yeah. Murderers. Oopsies. Drama. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) What's the scary story? Last night, it's dark. I'm scared in my home because I was researching my people. Well, that's a fucking lie. I did it all tonight. (laughs) Well, I'm always researching scary people because I I just Uh like it. So I was watching something scary. I fucking... And then I looked outside and I noticed one of my pumpkins was gone. <gasps> like, I have two pumpkins on my balcony. I live on the first floor of an apartment building, which I I guess I'm just going to – you don't know where I live, so I'm just going to say that's not a security <laughs> issue. I'm just going to tell myself that. <laughs> I, but my fucking pumpkin is gone. I have a white pumpkin and – Are they real? Orange pumpkin. Yeah, well, then real. a creature might and have the, eaten it. And one of them is fucking – well, here's okay. the story. I'm scared for my life. It's 10 p.m. Actually, it was more like 11. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> it's dark. I'm scared. The pumpkin is gone. I had just noticed. I knew it was there earlier, and I'm on the first floor, so I thought, I am being, I'm going to get killed. Someone is stalking me. There's a peeping Tom, and someone just fucking stole that pumpkin. That only cost $2, so what's mm-hmm. even the point if they're not trying to scare mm-hmm. me? Well... After a good 30 minutes of, like, freaking myself out and snapping my friends. I think I snapped you about it, too. I don't know. Probably. And then I, I FaceTime my mom because I'm scaled. <laughs> and I go outside with the flashlight, and the pumpkin just fucking fell. It was right there on the ground. It wasn't even snatched by a wild animal. It just nope. naturally fell well, off. I, well, there was a like a crack in the bottom of it, and I think it must have rotted, and then it kind of tipped itself off. And I looked down about two feet, and there it was, split in half on the ground. I mean, yeah, they do lose all of their structural integrity when they rot, so mm-hmm. that would make sense yep. that it fell. So, <laughs> and I have a screenshot on my phone of just one single flashlight onto the pumpkin on the ground. It's kind of sad. <laughs> But that's my spooky Halloween but story. But you're safe, and there was no creeper. And my life is dumb. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Disagree. I thought that was thrilling and suspenseful, mm. and it ended in literally the best possible way. Oh, fuck yeah. Except then I got worried because I left my door open for about four seconds, and like a little mouse came in. But so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what anxiety is, kids. <laughs> there you go. Mm. What were you for Halloween? Okay, so, uh, you know what? I'm celebrating Halloween on the 1st this year. I am disappointed. What? I'm going to s- celebrate it 
this Friday. Oh, November first. Yeah. November first. Okay. Um, but I did go out last weekend. Friday night was that Friday? That was Friday. Um, and I forgot that I had a Halloween party to go to, so my eleven from Stranger Things costume was not ready. I was DIYing that. <gasps> I did not have it ready. So yeah. on my way to work, I threw on Doc Martens, a pair of black jeans, a bomber jacket, and some aviators and i kind of looked like a pilot and then someone said you could be sarah connor from terminator and so then i just started telling people (laughs) sarah connor and that's a good yeah like sometimes it's better when people ask what you are you just say well what do you think i am and then whatever they think you are oh my gosh you're so right that's what i am that is exactly what i am know you're so good at costumes (laughs) you're what about you what were you well, last podcast I said I was going to be whatever you think someone wearing scrubs is, which is exactly the tactic you just described. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, I, I, I went I, – this is probably one of the last times I'll ever try on Halloween because I'm just – I've been over since I was like eight. <laughs> so I'm just a cynic. But I dress as the Hamburglar from McDonald's. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> Which was so fun. And people actually knew what I was. Which was, I just wore a burglar costume, like with the stripes, some red gloves, and a cape. And I taped a McDonald's M onto my body. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and people knew what I was, but even though I didn't have a grimace. so Just that iconic on yeah. its own. That's cool. Apparently, people liked it. It was quirky. I fun. like it. It's good. We are 15 minutes in. Should we yeah. start? <laughs> you go first. Okay. I go first Hater's. this week. Okay, Cece, here's a question for you. Ooh. Do you have a favorite scary movie? Yes. That actually, since I work at Lakefront Brewery now, that's been like my icebreaker with all Ooh. my new coworkers. It's like, so, favorite scary Ooh. movie? <laughs> um. So that actually has been on my mind a lot. Yeah. So what's your answer? And I would say, so there's scary movie and there's like, there's thriller. Well, there's like spooky, you know, like I'm thinking like Tim Burton movies. Like those don't make me scream, but you know, in general, they're like spooky. Yes. And then there's like the horror where you're like meant to be frightened and it's like all like demonic possession, scary stuff. My oh, favorite, like yes. seasonal, fun happy spooky movie is probably beetlejuice oh yeah i mean winona Ryder. yeah we talked about her lydia Dietz, og goth girl and we love for like scary as in like you know freak myself out the one i've probably seen the most is the descent i actually think i watched that with you in your basement that's the one about the cave people i would never we totally watched it at your house I totally remember this. It's well, they go spelunking it. in a cave, spelunking. but there's yeah, that's that's like when you dig for treasure in the mud. No, spelunking is cave exploration. Well, <laughs> you shouldn't use that fucking word on me. <laughs> they go spelunking, and this group gets like their tunnel collapses, so they're stuck in these caves, and these like creepy 
like it's like people who got trapped down there years ago have evolved into into these freaky cave <gasps> monsters. Wow, that's and so then scary. they like eat everyone. I but then some people that. survive, and there are some sequels. We watched it at your house. I remember being freaked out and peeing with the door open, <laughs> and we were all like, "This is at fine. This is a sacrifice in your basement." Hannah Wentz was with us. Cece, I do remember you peeing with the door open. <laughs> It, but everyone I think did the it. The rest of it, I have definitely blocked out. Maybe of my you mind. did. Like, what is that called? Like, some psychology yeah. term. I, I've, I've, I don't know him. I, I hate to say it. I hope it doesn't offend him. But I've never seen this man in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the quote. I fucking botched that. But whatever. but yes. Okay. So those are mine. What is yours? <laughs> I don't watch spooky, scary movies like the demonic ones because I saw Insidious once and I could not sleep for probably nine months because <laughs> nine months. I have a photographic memory. And you just have the red-faced demon in your mind all the time. In the corner, in the mm. dining room. Yeah. Not a fan. So I never watched anything after that. The only other ones – remember, this is a, t- a story. We're, we're at 20 minutes and we haven't talked about it, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I – Cece – is in a scary home in the woods. It's not a scary home, but like comparatively, it's scary because it's like architectural and cool instead of like a McMansion like the rest of us. Oh my God, no. <laughs> Some dumbass. Like, <laughs> okay, anyway. So, Cece has like these windows. This is what's the spooky fucking part about it. She has these big windows in her fucking, like, floor to ceiling, fucking 20 feet high, fucking ass windows. <laughs> My dad told me to stop Fucking swearing. ass windows. Oh <laughs> Fucking ass windows. Dad. And she's in the woods and we're surrounded by folklore, Sasquatch, Goatman, and aliens. It's a thin place where we live. I think I've said a that before. A thin place? Anyway. I love so that. So the only reason I would fucking watch a movie at Cece's house is if in the end it turned out to be fake. Do you remember that? Are you going to talk about... Shamalama The Village. Shamalama. Yes. That's my favorite movie, maybe of all time. I love Do you that remember movie. getting it's- freaked out about my mom's uh patio yes. umbrella? Umbrella. She had a red patio umbrella was red. that was collapsed. <laughs> which, if you've just seen the village, it looks just like the fucking It looks cake. like the red cloaked monsters. So that was a fun sleepover. I remember us all screaming in That terror. was very fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, but yeah, a seriously underrated movie. I love that movie. And I, that's all I can say because I haven't really watched any other scary ones. Except, so, as I say that, that is because uh, this week I'm talking about movies that were inspired by real life serial killers. Oh, yes. Some may say influenced. Oh, do you influence By real life serial killers. Okay. I never do the prompt correctly, but fuck it. Maybe it's next okay. time. Actually, it's fun. next time I will because I have a plan. Already. I think I'm the reliable, um, not reliable one, but I'm. I'm yes, you are. I'm the, <laughs> nope. I consistently follow the format and Haley's the wild card, which every everyone mm-hmm. needs a wild card, you know? <laughs> that is a good thing and a bad thing about me. Anyway, so last episode I talked about Ed Gein. If you haven't listened, go and fucking listen. Please. I'm sorry for swearing. <laughs> I really am trying to stop. Anyway, <laughs> um, when I talked about Ed Gein, 
I had still never seen Silence of the Lambs before. Ooh. But the next night, literally the next night after we recorded, I watched it with my dad. Mm-hmm. And wow. That is an amazing movie. Yes. The first time I saw that was at Hannah Wentz's house. <laughs> Actually, I know I yes. was there too and I fell asleep on, on purpose. purpose. I think because I, was I think scared. afterwards we watched the SpongeBob movie to like cleanse our yeah, child minds cuz it was scary. I remember that because I literally went into like the dining room and I fell asleep so I didn't have to listen to it. <laughs> oh god, I'm such a bitch. Anyway, I this is now next to like top 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 10 movies I've ever seen. I love this movie. So it's no wonder people are still talking about it. <laughs> but it's inspired or influenced by multiple serial killers, but I tended to see Ed Keen in it because I had just researched Mm -hmm. him. Like, he could... Okay, so here's a fun synopsis of the movie. Kind of. In the movie, this guy kidnaps fatter people. And I can say that because I'm fat. It's size 8. I don't think size 8 is that big. Isn't that what he says? Bigger people... Well, that's a whole nother fucking discussion. But what is it? The 70s or something? I don't... Yeah, I think so. But he kidnaps people. Who, no, she was a size 14. Okay. I just remember the size was okay. consistent. Like, that's who he. Yeah, it was 14. Because okay. I, rem- I remember the shot. So he, like, looks into her yeah. blazer. Oh, and sees the oh size. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. In the movie, he kidnaps bigger people. He starves them so that their skin would be loose. And then he made a woman body out of it, much like Ed Gein was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed a shot of the mannequin. <laughs> And in the end of the movie, he, like, puts a face on his face when he's, like, um, chasing her around in the house. Oh, my gosh. With the green, and like, green night vision stuff. I hate yes. that. Oh, shit. Hate that was parts. the scariest shit of my life. I was, like, looking at my dad. He was laughing at me. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, good fucking movie. That's a special shout out because I just talked about him. And here are my next two people. And this is a fucking gruesome episode for me. I'm sorry. I thought that I would love to do like a true crime podcast. But after researching this, I don't know how people talk about this all the time. It's hard to listen to it. At some point. Well, I've listened to true crime podcasts every single day of my life. But researching it, all the details and like knowing I'm about to tell you is like, I don't like that. I get to the point where like. Like, I can listen to My Favorite Murder, but there's one, I think it's called True Crime Junkie, or it might just be Crime Junkie. Oh, Crime yeah. Junkie. That one I love that is one. hard for me to listen to because it's just like every victim is a woman and they they disappear. Oh, yeah. They're never heard from again. Like, they do all these insane, like, unsolved ones that are just so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah, the unsolved ones are the And worst. that's everything Both they do. And it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, like I, I can't listen to this anymore because I'm just perpetually afraid, you know? Well, yeah, there's literally no humor in that one. They just go straight, straight mm-hmm. in. And there's hardly any ads either. So. Yeah, there's no Whatever. break. <laughs> so that said, this is a, like a trigger warning or something. If you don't want to listen to it, then just click off. But... The first one I'm going to talk about is Halloween, the movie, Mm -hmm. with Michael Myers. 
And I saw this again. I think it was probably at your house. No, it wasn't because I had never seen Halloween. The first time I saw Halloween oh. was with Tyler Fassbender because he is a major Halloween fan. He owns every movie oh. in the Halloween franchise. <gasps> There's a lot. Yes, like There's like so many. Ten. But I hadn't seen anyway. it until like late high school. He's the first one who showed me that movie. Oh, well, I don't know where I saw it then. But the most iconic shot for me is the one where she's in the bathroom and she looks between the stalls and she sees his face. Oh. All of I those where one. he's like and behind the, the clothesline or like on the other side of the fence. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, the fence mm-hmm. one is creepy too. Well, it horror film producers have this awesome way of creating real life situation and real life point of view to remind you of their movie yes like they're really fucking good Mm -hmm. at that so fuck them for that but (laughs) anyway so halloween is apparently inspired by a man named edmund kemper ed kemper Mm -mm. yeah Mm -mm. i know him ed kemper do you know that Mm -hmm. name Yeah, Ed Kemper. This man is six feet, nine inches tall. Taco. (laughs) Fucking massive. Can you believe that? I didn't know people Mm -hmm. could do that. Oh, well, kind of. Okay, his IQ, much like ours, is 145. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think maybe a little (laughs) higher. I don't know. Oh, yeah, big, 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 big Mensa members right here, oh, yeah. baby. <laughs> he was born September 18th, 1948 in California, and he was 13 pounds when he was born. <laughs> That's massive. I had to write that down. <laughs> I love that. That's a good fact. Yeah. So he displayed at least one of the three in the McDonald triad. Mm. Uh, at the age of 10 this is okay this is really weird honestly it, like it gets bad from here like the fucking 13 pound baby thing funny and cute but now mm. at age 10 he buried a cat alive and then he dug it up and he put the head of the cat on a stick oh my god a spike and then he did it again at 13 and he kept parts of it in his closet because it liked his sister more than him Oh, wait, that's why he killed it? Yeah. And I'm just assuming that he started fires and peed his bed, just so I can say McDonald triad. So. There you go. That's a term I know. (laughs) He had very unusual fantasies and behaviors. On one occasion, when his older sister, Susan, teased him and asked why he did not try to kiss his teacher, he replied, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. Which is creepy knowing All right. the rest Kissing of the Kate Barlow. <laughs> T. <laughs> Holes. <laughs> he also recalled that as a young boy, he would sneak out of his house and he would take his father's bayonet and go to his second grade teacher's house and watch her through the windows. Nope. Which I can think of a scene in a movie where that is like a person has done that. Yeah. Um, his favorite games as a kid were gas chamber and electric chair where he pretended he was being executed. So like I said, this is not, this is dark. It doesn't really get much. Oh my God. Sorry. It's gross. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Like many killers, he had a bad mom and his father was not around. He's raised by his mother, Clarnell, which is a weird fucking name. And his parents were separated. And she was, according to Wikipedia, a neurotic, domineering alcoholic who would frequently belittle, humiliate, and abuse him. Isn't that wild? She made fun of him. That that is like an age-old story. You just hear it over and over again when you talk about people like this, you know? Oh, yeah, big. So don't abuse your children. And if you're afraid you're going to, just give them away. True. Anyway. Um, she made fun of his large size and made him sleep in the locked basement because she was afraid that he'd hurt his sisters, which maybe he would have hurt his sisters. I think it's kind of justified based on knowing what he'd done to other things. But locking him in a basement is not at all helpful. Oh, my gosh. That's literally being like, this is a problem for another day. And like... Let's just put this in the closet and forget it. You know, like that does nothing. Literally. Ah, it's bad. So, but, okay, so apparently she may have suffered from borderline personality disorder, so she had mental issues herself. But again, that's not an excuse. Luckily, now I, I believe that there are more, there's more availability to mental health counseling. So, and, uh, and by the way, it, to me and to Cece and to a lot of people, these fucking fantasies and behaviors are creepy. But maybe something is mentally wrong. Like if you have scary thoughts or like intrusive thoughts, you can tell someone and people will actually help you. You don't have to act on it. Yeah. But as from my perspective, it's crazy. And well, I don't want to say crazy. That's a bad word to say. You don't. It's not. It almost makes you wonder, like, yeah. if there are people who have done that and they have reached out, and we just, I think, well, like, yes. we just don't know how they end up because they don't become serial killers. Well, people you don't know? like to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, you there's medications and there's so much many helpful things now. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Anyway, so he actually ran away to find his dad. And he found out that his dad had a new wife and a stepson that, like, no one knew about. So this is, like, very traumatic. Sure. He lived there until his dad sent him to live with his grandparents on a ranch, which is my dream. Someone please marry me and have a ranch with me. If you already have a ranch, hit me up. <laughs> I like all animals, but especially ducks, chickens, and cows. And well, goats, kind of, but they're kind of creepy. Um... But he hated the ranch. Kemper hated the ranch. And he hated his, quote, senile grandpa and mother who, a grandmother who, quote, constantly emasculated him and his grandpa. What was that? I'm just like, so just like his mother, <laughs> like. look ugly. You know, like he just um, can't sorry. escape these oh, bad yeah. mother so figures. He hated them, so he killed them. Both of them? Yes. I'm. He had an argument with his grandma. He stormed out and he got a gun that his grandpa had given him for hunting. And he shot her in the head and twice in the back. And his grandfather? His grandma. And then when his grandpa got home from grocery shopping, he shot him in the driveway so, quote, he wouldn't have to find out his wife was dead. This is so wild. This is bad. I'm so sorry. I regret telling this story, but... um, so 
he got scared and he didn't know what to do. He's still a kid. So he calls his mom. She told him to call the police. And so he waited there for the police to come and arrest him. And that's what happened. He was 15. Wow. Yeah. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and he went to a criminally insane psychiatric hospital for imprisonment. And th- when he was there, doctors disagreed about his um, diagnosis. So he showed, quote, no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking, which is uh, the symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia. Um, he also took two IQ tests. One was 136 and one was 145. And turns out, those people who were skeptical were probably right. He manipulated his way through the prison like a classic sociopath. Wow. He developed new skills for measuring personality disorders on, like, other inmates um, because he was so smart. However, he said that he was actually learning how the tests work so he could manipulate his psychiatrists. Yeah, dude's way, way smarter than us. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) He said he learned a lot from sex offenders because they showed him how to not leave evidence behind. So. Oh, my gosh. This is terrible, Haley. (laughs) I know. I'm really sorry. I totally regret this now that I'm saying it. Okay. (sighs) He was released from jail on his 21st birthday to his mother. Um, Later, he apparently proved he was totally rehabilitated and his records were completely wiped. Wait, oh, because he was a kid when he did that? Yeah. Yeah. That's something you can't erase. (laughs) That's like, I don't know. Like, I feel like you can erase petty petty theft or like, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stealing M&M's or something. But not that. Not double homicide as a teenager. I know. So, hold on. Fixing my phones. (laughs) So... He was hit by a car. (laughs) So shout out to that guy. And he received a settlement that he used to buy his own car. And he began to pick up hitchhikers. But at first he picked them up peacefully and he dropped them off like normal. However, he began to have urges and started keeping plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car. Oh, bad. Hate that. I know. I I skip over the murders now. So between May of 1972 and April of 1973, that's almost a year, Kepper killed eight women in a murder spree that ended with the death of his mother and her best friend. He would pick up female college students who were hitchhiking and take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, smother, or strangle them. And then he would take their bodies home where he would decapitate them uh, perform oral sex on their he- severed heads, have intercourse with them, and then dismember them. I'm so sorry. Happy Halloweeners. <laughs> <laughs> this is not okay. I hate saying I feel like a dirty person. Uh. Oh. <laughs> Actually, one time he was pulled over by the police after just having killed two women who were in the car, and they, the police didn't notice. I think that happened to Dahmer, too, where they just were like... You mean Bundy? What? No, 
Dahmer. He, that, his first victim was a hitchhiker, and ooh, I think he put oh, stuff yes. in the trunk of his car. And I think that at some point he was pulled over for crossing the center line. And an officer was like, what's in the bags? And he's like, oh, I'm taking my garbage <laughs> to the, the dump because... I'm living alone I'm and I didn't money. know what day was garbage day. <laughs> like, that's what he said. And they were like, wow. okay, Charming. that's fine. Oh, whatever. Well, what fucking reasonable suspicion do you have to look at? I in know. There anyway? Who's thinking, hmm, what's <laughs> in the bag? What's in the box? Yeah, what's in your box? <laughs> have you seen the movie Handcuffs? Seven? Because, uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. Oh, yes, I did see it at your house with the box. What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> Is that with the peace sign and the bloody nose? No, that was um, that was the box. I'm talking about the movie okay, that Seven. One is a good movie, and I've been trying to think of that. Literally, I've seen a lot more scary movies than I thought, and it's all thanks to Cece. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like that was the edgy thing to do, though, in, like, middle school, was to, like, rent a scary movie and, like, you know, I mean, I was not. Well, actually, I did dress kind of edgy, <laughs> but we won't get into it. Um, are Congress <laughs> edgy? Are they? <laughs> yes, they were, They are black. Oh, yeah. Um, so he, actually, he stated in interviews later that he would often go hunting for victims after his mother's outbursts towards him. Like they were still fighting, including her refusal to introduce him to women who were attending the university where she worked. I will say this a million fucking times. N- men are not entitled to women, nor the other way around. No one is entitled to love. Yeah, you got to earn that shit. Well, it's kind of sad now that I think about it. Like, I think it's a basic human right to be loved by your parents. It should be. But this guy didn't have it that. It should be. Stop screenshotting. I'm doing that. Okay. Whenever we get to a moment where we're laughing or we're sad or we're serious. Okay. (laughs) I look really bad in the screenshots. Um, Honestly, okay. This, uh, how, somehow this gets even worse. How? So I wrote, honestly, the things that he did to these women and his mom, I didn't even think was imaginable by the human mind. It's very scary and sad, and I didn't want to write it down. So his final murder was that of his mother, and he left a note for the police, but they didn't find it, and he didn't hear from them. So he called and confessed himself, and again, he waited for them to pick him up. That's so weird to me. You'd think that someone like that would be like, I'm uncatchable, and wouldn't. And would mm-hmm. run, even though it's so obvious now that, like, he's got... He wanted to get caught. Yeah, which maybe that's, like, well, he... the weird cry for help that the only one you well, can yeah. do when you're in that situation. He said it. He said it, but I didn't write it down. He said that the reason he was killing all these people is because of his mother. Ed like, Gein, right? Isn't that why he killed? Yeah, well, a lot of people. <laughs> oh, my apparently. gosh. Makes me afraid to be a but... mom. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> we are fine. We, you would never. We would never treat no. our kids like that. Um. So, he was given seven years to life for each of the women that he killed, and he personally requested that he get the death sentence, and he requested death by torture. So he could keep playing that 
electric chair yeah. game. Apparently. That's terrible. Too bad, bitch. So they denied it. <laughs> and he's still in the California medical facility to this He's still day. alive? Yeah, he's like 70 or something. Oh, my gosh. Yep. He's alive. Freaky. Um, Someone has to bunk with that dude. Ugh. You know what? He was on the same cell block as Charles Manson <gasps> before Charles Manson just died. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that weird? Right? How, ugh. I can't imagine what kind of interaction you have with people like that. I was going to say I'd like to know, but I don't want to know. That's torture. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. So according to this article I was going by, Halloween is inspired by Ed Kemper. However, after I did all my Ed Kemper research, I read the article more thoroughly, and it says, quote, Halloween's Michael Myers bears a nearly identical resemblance to real-life killer Ed Kemper. As, okay, whatever. Director John Carpenter won't confirm the connection, but let's look at the facts. Both men killed a family member as a child. The murders are nearly exact. The murderers, fuck, I'm really bad at doing quotes. (laughs) The murderers are nearly the exact same height and both stabbed and strangled victims. Kemper was arrested in 1973 and Halloween premiered five years later. The only difference is that Kemper engaged in necrophilia and buried their heads in his backyard, end quote. That is not, that is not convincing me. That could literally <laughs> be any serial I killer. think that the. He killed a family member. The main connection. They. Um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I remember reading no, I, about this because I read about Halloween too when I first saw it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this phrase called the curse of Cain. And it's like the biblical Ooh, oh, story of Cain and Abel, right? And it's. The curse of Cain are like... I don't know that story. <laughs> he kills his brother Abel. Cain kills his brother oh. Abel in a field with a rock because Abel's like oh, the favored son thing. or something. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's this... It's this phrase called the curse of Cain that's used in regards to like people who kill their own family members. Oh. Well, other than killing a family member and being like big... A lot of fucking murderers stab and strangle their victims. Yeah, that's not a so, unique thing. <laughs> I just said they're both literally just tall. And honestly, when you see like Michael Myers, I can see why you might think that because I can see that. Like he was massive and they did that on purpose. Oh, yeah. And he wore that jumpsuit. So it was like exaggerated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so creepy. So I don't really think that they're that much that related. And by that logic... Um, I heard a cat. Yeah, I can. <laughs> Newt, Newt is playing rough with the cat. Sorry, everyone. What's your cat's pickle. name? Hmm, love you, pickle. She old. So cute. Okay, so I don't think that they're related very much, and by that logic, I could say that Ted Bundy was influenced by Ed Kemper. <laughs> Ooh, tell me more. Tell Ooh. me more. <laughs> Because he killed college students. <laughs> oh, true. And that's what I said at first. But then, actually, when I did more research, it I, I could I would argue that he's even more influenced by him. Oh. 
So again, heavy hitter here. <laughs> Gruesome and stupid, and I shouldn't have researched this because now I'm having nightmares. <laughs> Not even sleeping yet. But so Ed killed women. Not Ted. Ed. <laughs> Kemper killed women ending in 1973 and Bundy started in 1974. And I've said this before and I will say it again a million times. Everyone says Ted Bundy is hot. He is not hot. Maybe in comparison to other killers, but not in general. <sighs> this is, yeah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> what do you mean? I was going to say Ed Kemper is hotter than Ted Bundy. I'm going to look him up. He's like a hipster looking dude when he got his mug shot. Oh, yeah. 100%. He's better looking than 100%. That doesn't mean that he that that is OK to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was born November 24th, 1946, and he has no father. Um. Well, he does, but we don't know who he is. Um, his mother was um, asexually pr- uh, produced. <laughs> reproduced. <laughs> anyway, he has a father. We don't know who he is. He was raised by his grandparents who told him that they were his parents and that his mother was his sister. I remember, I remember um, hearing about that. Yeah. Which one? Um, Bundy, which one of them had the brown hair with the middle part? Was that a girlfriend or was that his mother slash sister? Oh, that's his girlfriend. That's his girlfriend. Okay. Well, actually, both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Bundy expressed a lifelong resentment towards his mother for never talking to him about his real father and for letting him discover his true parentage for himself. Parentage. I don't know how. To yeah. <laughs> Bundy spoke warmly of his grandparents and told uh, a reporter that he identified and respected and clung to his grandfather. In 1987, he and other family members told attorneys that his grandfather was a tyrannical bully and a bigot who hated blacks, Italians, Catholics, and Jews. He beat his wife and the family dog and swung neighborhood cats by their tails. Wow. So this is the person that Ted Bundy apparently respected and identified with. Yikes. So this is not a good person to look up Mm-mm. to. When Ted Bundy was four, him he and his mother moved to Tacoma, Washington, which is a beautiful place. <laughs> is it? Um, yes, everywhere in the Pacific Northwest is stunning. Um, his mother remarried and he was adopted by his stepdad and that's how he got his last name Bundy. Mm. Makes sense. He, I'm drinking wine, by the way. If you hear me pausing, I'm getting drunk. <laughs> we both are. What are you drinking, by the it's way? It's the Merlot. You left it at my house after our last uh, oh. recording. Oh, it's like a barefoot. <laughs> Yum. Yum. I'm drinking a, a Cabernet. Sauvignon. Cab Sav. Cab Sav, baby, from Bogle Vineyards. Ooh. Ooh. It's yummy. Anyway. <laughs> Shut up. You always take the screenshot like half a second after I think you are, and then. Anyway. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm going to do the same thing to you. <laughs> 
Um, he too had dark fantasies and bad ideas. He roamed the streets looking in garbage cans for pics of na- naked women, which when I read that, I was kind of like, I feel like that's kind of not that abnormal for a young kid to do, like a teen to do. How common is that, though, to find it's, pictures in the garbage? I, that's what I fucking thought. <laughs> I was like, bro, this is a lost cause. Yeah. And if you do, it's like your fucking 50-year-old neighbor mom. Yeah, who's who's throwing <laughs> And who wants to see that? Like, <laughs> he was really going to be searching for a long time. I feel like that is not <laughs> an efficient use of time, but just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he's looking for pornography, and that isn't that, like, it's that's not a bad thing for a child. Well, not a fucking child. A teen. Yeah. Kid, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a man. <laughs> Um, however, the weird part is that he searched crime novels and magazines for stories that involve sexual violence. And he also liked when they were illustrated and showed dead people. Weird. Uh, I see something happening in his young mind. (laughs) The triad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, does he display any of the triad things? I don't know. I didn't read any accounts of attacking animals. I don't think he did. Oh. Um, he told varied accounts of his social life when he was young. He told reporters that he chose to be alone as an adolescent because he was unable to understand interpersonal relationships. Um, he claimed that he had no natural sense of how to develop friendships. And he said, quote, I didn't know what made people want to be friends. I didn't know what underlay social interactions. Oof. That's hard. It's so sad. Yeah. It's, isn't he like a super narcissist, though? So maybe it was just like oh, for lack of caring. sociopath. It's just in his mind, it's impossible for him, which is so sad. But, but doesn't he later, like whatever. when he does his whole like, I'm going to represent myself. Like, I feel like that almost shows, like... Well, that's narcissism. You know, that he probably doesn't even care about having friends. He probably just thinks so highly of himself that he's just fine with being... Yeah. Solo Ted. And after the trial, obviously, like, looking back at it, people do say, like, he should never have been able to... He should have... She shouldn't have been able... He shouldn't have been tried as sane like he should have been insane from the shit that he was doing yeah but i mean have you seen the the trial footage because they televised that thing Mm -hmm. and like even the judge at the end called him like a very good man like like his the judge said like Mm -hmm. in a different world i would have loved to have you practicing law in my court like like in a That's different world? Part. You That's... mean a world where he didn't murder a bunch of people? Like, what? why would you say something nice to this man? Like, that makes no sense. He's a charming motherfucker, yeah, apparently. apparently. So, downhill skiing was Bundy's only significant athletic avocation. He, is that the word, avocation? Activity? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> His only significant fucking pastime. <laughs> he enthusiastically pursued the activity by using stolen equipment and forged lift tickets. <laughs> I 
I wish that is where the like the crime stopped. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Because that's hilarious. That's just a fun like snow bunny or whatever they're yeah. called. Ski bunny, mountain bunny. Like, oh, Ted, what are you doing in the pen for? Oh, you know, forging lift tickets, stealing skis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably like hides out in the middle of the hill, like smoking weed in the woods. Right, that's in a tiny igloo that he built himself. That's what I want. Like that's yeah. fun. I'm hanging out with yeah. that guy. So and both of us because we used to ski. That would be <laughs> Ted Bundy, more like Ted Fundy, if that were. Oh shit! <laughs> if that were the case, Yo, but that's not a true thing. More like Ted Fundy. <laughs> uh, more like Ted Bud. Oh. That's a good one too. Weed. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Um. Sorry. Sorry, police. I have to lean away from the mic when I cackle like that. Otherwise, I. Peek. Me too. Because I I'm going in the red just ab- normally. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> um. So after this, he began his criminal life in high school when he was arrested for things like burglary and auto theft. He went to a few colleges, had a couple of jobs, but came back to Washington in 1969 where he met his infamous girlfriend that he dated until his incarceration until 1976. So this is the girl who's in, like, that new movie. With Zac Efron? I've seen it. Uh-huh. Like, in other movies as well, but... Uh-huh. What's her name? She... I don't know. <laughs> girlfriend (laughs) well the wikipedia had like a bunch of names because it was like hidden but she's like people know who she is now um he enrolled at uw washington for psychology which is weird uh he was very well regarded and he actually worked at the seattle suicide hotline crisis center could you imagine having (laughs) ted bundy answer that call when you're at your most desperate that's just that's so weird to think about i know and i wrote in here um i wrote by the way there's always help please call the suicide hotline if you need to and that will put the show in the info in our show notes especially because this content is disgusting and sad and possibly triggering so anyway there's always help. Um, he graduated in 1972, and he was appointed to the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Committee. Can you hear yes. me? Yes. <laughs> so you just don't want to react? <laughs> I'm sorry. He got accepted to law school. And so from here it says there's no consensus on when or where he began killing people. He told different stories to different people. He refused to divulge the specifics on his earliest crimes, even though he confessed when he was about to die, like executed. His first successful murder was that of Linda Healy, who was beat and carried away. Um, and at the first half of 1974, female college students disappeared at the rate of one per month. Ew. His M.O. was pretending to have an injury, like having his arm in a sling or walking on crutches, and asked for help with his tan Vida Beetle. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's also in Silence of the Lambs, by the way, now that I think about it. Like, that's how he captured that The girl. asking for help. 
Yep. He had a, a sling. I remember, too, so. like, as a kid, my mom and my dad giving me that whole spiel of, like, if mm-hmm. anybody, like, someone in a van or someone comes up to you and is like, can you help me? Or, like, my puppy's lost. Like, anything that would be, like, mm-hmm. appealing to a kid, they were like, no. Any adult, Run, no adult like- would ever ask a kid for help. So you need to immediately know to like find us or run away you know well we lived in we our parents live in a very like small community no one locks their doors everybody gets to play outside whenever they want without supervision and our rule was if you see any car no matter what come down the soup the subdivision you run to the backyard (laughs) (laughs) i like that rule so it was kind of like a game. <laughs> but there was something, there was actually like a person in our town who was trying to abduct kids in a van when we were like in 5K. You know what? That's right when my parents moved here. So, yeah. I don't remember. So I, I was probably I too young to be told that, that too, if that was a thing. But uh, my mom told me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and here, well, we, here are. we are. <laughs> How do you think we feel? <laughs> anyway. Um, don't get into vehicles, even if you're a fucking, it doesn't matter how old you are. Don't go with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if anyone, if fucking... anyone is like asking you for help and it just, but like it, you're just like, so not the person to ask for help. You know, like I think what Ted would oh, yeah. do is he had like, sometimes he would have like a boat or something that, or he would have something oh, yes. that he needed help loading onto oh, his a- bug Mm-hmm. And he would ask, like, these, yeah, like, these college-age girls. And not to be sexist or anything, but it's like, bud, why don't you ask a big, burly dude to help you? You know, like, if you mm-hmm. ever, also, if you're like, why are you asking me? You know, like. Yeah, confronting the person who's doing this is helpful. Yeah. It always kind of scares them. Oh, yeah. If you're scared, ask questions. And those people rely on your sense of politeness, where, like. I've got oh, a yeah. sling That's on. Never like the polite thing to do is to help someone who's injured, and it's like you're allowed to say no to anyone. You don't owe oh, anyone yeah. what anything. Is, what's the thing from My Favorite Murder? Fuck politeness. Yes, 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 yes. That's what they say. TM Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hartstorff. Yeah, we just said mm-hmm. it. But fuck politeness. Thank you guys for that terminology. Please go listen to My Favorite Murder if you. <laughs> don't already you should like, they're seriously. like the number one podcast ever so <laughs> yeah you, everybody already does if they know how to use the internet um so fear among the population spread and hitchhiking by young women dropped sharply the pacific northwest murders culminated on july 14th when in broad daylight abductions of two women at a crowded beach at a lake park um which is east of seattle Five female witnesses described an attractive young man wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling, speaking with a light accent, perhaps Canadian or British, and introducing himself as Ted, which is Used stupid. his real first name. What a <laughs> dummy. He asked, yeah, he asked for their help in unloading a sailboat, like you said, mm-hmm. from his tan Volkswagen Beetle. Four of them refused. One accompanied him. As far as his car, but he saw that she saw that there was no sailboat and she ran away. Um, But he successfully abducted and killed two other women that day. Oh, my gosh. But 
this gave the police something to go off of. This was evidence. So he was broadcast his like photo, not photo, but police sketch um, in on TV and newspapers. But here's the catch. It was only regional because this is the 70s. And news is not fast, and it's not far-reaching. Mm-hmm. So, basically, he moves out around the country. He keeps fucking killing people all over. He's arrested and released in Utah because they didn't have enough evidence. But then in 1976, they did, like, culminate enough evidence, and he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in a Utah state prison. This is... Shit gets crazy. Like, this guy is... Like, iconic. Well, even with... Like, not in a good way, but... Even with what you're saying about, like, the news being only regional oh, and not, yeah. you know, being broadcast nationally, that's an issue with the police departments, too, at this time, where, oh, like, uh-huh. Washington has yeah. their own evidence and their own investigation, and Utah has their own, and there's no there's no way of, like, sharing this information across jurisdictions. Like, that just doesn't... And honestly, that did it, it took a long time for people to figure that out. I, I there's a database now. But yeah, it took a long mm-hmm. time. Um, so he so he's in jail in Utah State Prison. Uh, he is transferred to some other jail, but then he was transferred from that jail to a courthouse for a hearing. And like we said, he was acting as his own attorney because he went to law school and he thinks he's the man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was somehow allowed in a room during the, like, some recess. He was doing research without any handcuffs in a library. When his guards were behind a bookcase, he fucking jumped out of the window from the second story to the ground and ran away. Mm-hmm. He fucking escaped that bitch. And he ran to the mountains like Frankenstein's monster. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Those are... That's what I pictured when I was reading. Like prison escapes or even just like, you know, courtroom escapes like this um, are so fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. Well, he was a fugitive for six days and then he was pulled over in a car that he had stolen and caught. Um, But he says that it wasn't premeditated, but they later found out he'd been practicing jumping off of his bunk bed for like months. (laughs) I think think they show that in the extremely wicked yeah, yeah. shockingly evil and vile movie i think they show him doing that oh that's so crazy in the ted bundy files that also came out this year oh, i watched those too <laughs> um yeah they showed in that one for sure because i remember that um so then he's he's fucking caught he's taken back to glenwood springs jail where he was staying where he was imprisoned <laughs> not just like renting <laughs> he this and then he fucking escapes from jail. How did he escape from? Oh, what <sighs> didn't he starve himself and he went through a vent or something? He was yeah. so skinny. Well, he sawed a hole in the ground and he lost thirty five pounds to fit through it. Wow. <laughs> when the like good guards, like the seasoned guards, were on Christmas break, some people are on furlough to go visit their families. He escapes. Wow. He leaves books in his bed as a dummy. (laughs) He crawled through the hole into the chief jailer's house. He changed his fucking clothes into some from this guy's fucking closet and walked out the front door of the jail. Insane. Lee Smart. (laughs) 
mad, mad. I can't, I can't even. That's like such a good story. (laughs) Sorry, this is like a really long one for me, but he traveled by stolen car, hitchhiking, which is ironic, and a bus and a plane, like planes, trains, and automobiles. I wonder if, (laughs) and it's funny because it was at Christmas. (laughs) I wonder if, like, predators like Ted Bundy, because they know what they do to hitchhikers and stuff, you know? Oh my like, God, are they yeah. afraid when they hitchhike? Or are they like, no, I'm the predators, no. so I'm not afraid. You know, like. Well, he's a man, so he's not afraid. Yeah, probably. T. Ugh. So they didn't even discover he was gone until 17 hours later. And he by then, he was in Chicago. Wow. And by the way, remember, no one really knows who this guy is. Because it's regional. Mm-hmm. He went from Chicago to Florida, where he attacked and killed women in a sorority house. And his final murder was a girl who was 14 um, when she was walking across the parking lot of her school to homeroom. Wow. (sighs) So here's the end of the spree. On February 12th, with insufficient cash to pay his overdue rent and a growing suspicion that police were closing in on him, Bundy stole a car and fled Tallahassee, driving westward across the Florida panhandle. Three days later, at around 1 a.m., he was stopped by a Pensacola police officer near the Alabama state line after a wants and warrants check showed his VW Beetle was stolen. Which is funny because, like, that is literally the car he was driving before. (laughs) So he had a preference, I guess. For punch brand loyalty, (laughs) yeah, Uh, sponsored by (laughs) VW. Ted Bundy is. (laughs) When he was told he was under arrest, Bundy kicked the police officer's legs out from under him like a middle schooler and took off running. Sweep the leg. The the police fired a warning shot and followed by a second round. Gave chase and tackled him. Can you tell I didn't write this? <laughs> Gave chase. The two struggle. Yeah. They struggled over the police officer's gun before the officer subdued and arrested Bundy. In the stolen vehicle were three sets of IDs belonging to female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen TV. <laughs> For no reason. <laughs> also found were a pair of dark-rimmed non-prescription glasses, like some hot topic shit. <laughs> oh my god. Um a pair of slacks later and they were later identified as a, as a disguise that he used to be a police officer. Um and this guy, this police officer transported him to jail unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives. Oh my gosh. And Ted Bundy said, "Quote, I wish you had killed me." Oh. Um he stood trial for the sorority murders and assaults, and it was the first trial to ever be televised on U.S. TV. Oh, the again, first. He, mm-hmm. He acted as his own lawyer, again, like an idiot. And rather than taking a plea, <laughs> he went on to trial, and he was convicted, and the judge imposed the death penalty unto him. Some other shit happened. He avoided the death penalty for a long time, but... Ted Bundy died in the electric chair at 7.16 a.m. on January 24th, 1989. He was 42, 
hundreds of people, including 20 off-duty police officers, um, sang, danced, and set off fireworks in the field across the street from the prison. I remember seeing that footage in the Ted Bundy files. People, it was like a parade. They were like chanting, USA, (laughs) USA, which is such a problem. Yeah, no. That's not the time that you use that chant. Oh. You know. No. Well, is there ever a time? (laughs) (laughs) Then they cheered loudly loudly as the white hearse with his corpse departed the Wow. So that's the end of it all, baby. Um, When the serial killer confessed to murdering... Well, (laughs) he confessed to murdering 30 women. We may never know just how many people he killed. Ted Bundy's victims that we do know of were young women in the prime of their life. Considering his heinous crimes, the judge presiding over Bundy's case summed up the killer aptly. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Which is Yes, that's the title of the movie. And that quote... I did not write that. It was from interesting.com. <laughs> All that's interesting.com. Well, do you... And that's the end of my scary case. Do you remember um, in the Ted Bundy files, them interviewing, like, women who fit the MO of the women he was mm-hmm. killing? And, like, women who had, like chopped all their hair off and like bleached their hair because they're like I'm a brunette and I wore a middle part and I changed my hair because I'm a college age female and this is happening like there are people who change their appearance because Mm -hmm. of Ted Bundy that's insane his impact yeah and just the the fear and people not knowing who's doing this are like how to avoid it. The only way is to like oh, yeah. alter how That's you look. That's what's so scary about you know? an unsolved crime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, I hate thinking about it. It's it's honestly draining to think about all this like like with your energy and your soul. So I, I'll probably do some meditating tonight with my crystals. Ooh. Let's see. She got me for my birthday. But it's like how many people are out there literally right now that A – were murdered, B, are murderers, and C, are not caught and will never be found. I think the statistics that I've read, I should look it up, but it's like at any given time, there are like five active, I don't think five active serial killers was it. I think it was 12. In America? Yes, at any given time. How many actives? I don't want to hear this, but remember my pumpkin story? That's what I thought was going to happen to me. A pumpkin killer. (laughs) Oh, oh gosh. Um, according to research, this is from LiveScience.com. Sounds very credible. Incredible. According to research by psychology professor Mike Emote at Radford University in Virginia, <laughs> there are likely about 30 active serial killers operating in the United States as of 2015. <laughs> apparently, though. That is not something I want to No, hear. but apparently serial killings peaked in the 1980s. So... Hopefully, oh, that's interesting because I would have thought it was the 70s. Possibly, but maybe like, I don't know, maybe technology is finally getting to a point where those numbers are getting lower because they're Knock getting caught wood. before they can do it again. You know, like I'm hoping. That's so creepy to think uh, about, though. Yeah, DNA. Tech. Apparently, there's one in Milwaukee. 
Can you please stop? <laughs> he targets men, though, so we're fine. I don't know. I was mistaken for a boy when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> well, I hope that's <laughs> not the case now. Uh, well, you never know. I, You never know. <laughs> anyway, I'm really sorry about it. I didn't think it was going to be that gross, and then it did. And then I had already done all my research, so I didn't want to redo it. It happens. <laughs> it's all good. Do you mind if I get more wine before we do my bit? Yeah. Okay. While you're gone, I'll do some, like, entertaining of the crowd. <laughs> okay. This is Haley Hour. <laughs> I'm going to sign off for, Oof, like, 45 big. seconds to get more wine and go. Okay. Can you hear me? She didn't respond. <laughs> um, this will be edited out. I demand it. Sissy, if you're listening, and I know you are, or Graham, this needs to be edited out. <laughs> because I honestly don't really have anything to say. Um, let's talk about candy corn, everybody. I am drinking Cabernet, Cab Soft, and I'm eating candy corn, the beautiful creation. Yellow, orange, and white, baby. I can't believe that this is happening. This needs to be edited out. I'm sitting in my apartment alone talking to myself and eating candy corn. Oh, my God. Anyway, tastes pretty good with wine. Cece, come back. (laughs) She just walked by and then left. Anyway, I do recommend a red wine and candy cane. Surprisingly yummy. But it would probably taste better with some champagne. Here's a hot tip for you all. Um, for wine and cheese pairings, always pair red with a dark. Well, always pair any dark wine with an aged spicy cheese. Like something that's aged, something that's hard. A white wine or a light wine. Cece's back. (laughs) A light wine goes with something that's buttery and mild, but semi-soft. And then a champagne you should pair with a spreadable cheese that has almost (laughs) no flavor. (laughs) Oh, my God. She's pairing cheeses with wines. I knew. Yeah. Can you delete that? I have, like, a 50%. (laughs) I was, like, 50-50. Haley's either telling some story from our youth or she's talking about fucking cheese. (laughs) Ah. I know you. Uh, <laughs> shit. Okay, well, I, I left a message in there for you, so please listen. <laughs> for me? Of course I will. I'll edit this. Okay. 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 <laughs> if you are, because, yeah, Graham won't ever listen, and then that'll be in there. <laughs> so I don't want that. <laughs> Graham, if you still listen, now that I'm doing the editing, please hashtag uh, Spooky Scary CC on the next thing you spooky promo scary for us. Spooky <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. We're all going to be in on it, and he's not, and he literally owns the network. (laughs) Oh, miss you, Graham. Love Uh, you. Yeah, miss you. Come record. (laughs) Um, Okay, Cece. I'm impressed that you drank that whole glass because Cece's a pretty slow drinker. This is good Merlot. I have to tell you, Haley, I much prefer this to the bottle of wine we drank last episode. That was Cabernet. Okay, I'm a Merlot gal. No, that was a... Actually, we had a Pinot Noir, and that's, like, even more... 
my hope. Oh, but why do I like sweet. Merlot then? I don't know. I don't know. Merlot's pretty good. Yeah, I'm really Mine's feeling pretty it. Dry. It's good. Um, I'm gonna pour some more. Go for it. And I will tell you whom or who uh, requested these people. Um, okay, this Cece teased this to me last week, and she said. This is someone we both know from childhood. And I was like, literally who? And she made me wait. So I'm really So excited. by childhood, I mean middle school. And he was the okay. most epic new kid that ever came to Aaron. <gasps> okay. You know who this is. This is Victor. Yes, it is. Oh, shit. We keep saying everyone's last Victor names. M. Is Victor okay? M. <laughs> this is Victor M. Can you bleep it out? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll bleep out his whole <laughs> Hi Victor. Hi, Victor. I'm so glad you're listening. I hope your mustache is just as big and fluffy as it was when we were in Oh my God, grade. literally, Haley, I was <laughs> going to bring up the mustache because remember how we said we'll say our favorite things? I was going to say my favorite thing about Victor is his mustache, just it's like Noah's. His mustache, just like Noah. <laughs> so listeners, well, I if like you can. a lot of things about If Victor. you can grow a mustache, we'll compliment you on it, you know? Just oh, yeah. send us a pic. Take us into your photos and hashtag spooky scary CC. <laughs> we want stash pics. This is not funny. <laughs> and if you have a mustache, I will date you. Yes. So. <laughs> no one's going to send it in now. <laughs> I love it. So, yes. Uh, so, Victor. Hi, Victor. Thank you for listening. Yeah, he just like messaged me on Snapchat out of the blue and was like, hey, just wanted to let you know that I listened he said we were goofy and fun to listen to and i was like thank you for being honest because i've always felt goofy but no no one's ever said it to my face so thank you so you admit so it. i admit it i admit the goof um so you're saying we're goofy. so you're saying we're goofy yes so he listened to every episode or he just trying to get his 15 seconds of fame no i don't know but it. he I think he said he just started. Fame. I don't know if it was like a okay. boredom at work thing. I think that's the instigator for most of our listeners is Ooh, like yeah. they know one of us and they're just like so bored that they're like, fuck it. I need to I kill know. an hour and a half, you know? According to Graham, we have a lot of listeners. I have no idea. We have no statistics. We have no yeah. information. So we just record, <laughs> send it to him. And we have to trust whatever I know. he says. This last time it was posted, I was like, did Graham even post it? And I looked us up on Spotify and I was like, oh, shit, he did. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we don't hear much from him these days. Miss you, Graham. We really don't hear anything. <laughs> that's why we need some listener, like, activity. Yeah, that's why we need feedback <laughs> and people to make requests. So I'm Please. very grateful that Victor. You don't even have to make a request. But it's always appreciated it, when you do. Sure. I guess. <laughs> literally victor shaped this episode for me victor shaped this episode for me because he requested i was like do you have any spooky like requests and immediately he was like i want to know more about stephen king and why oh my god that's amazing and why he's so spooky and why there are so many Stephen King novels and film adaptations and TV show adaptations. That's perfect. So. You know what? I was going to talk about him, but I didn't. I'm glad that that hasn't happened to us yet, but I look forward to the day that it does, that we are both doing like the same thing and have 
It'll be like that Spider-Man meme. Yes, where we're pointing where at each other. At each other. Like, <laughs> you, 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 that's me. You, that's me. me. We're the same. Yes. So I'm going to talk about Stephen King today, the American author of horror, supernatural fiction, yes. suspense, and fantasy novels. Um, This is my dad's favorite author. Had to take a... <laughs> Stop! Cece, uh... She keeps taking horrible photos of me. None of these are getting paused. <laughs> She's undoing her tangled. scrunchy bun. I had to do it. It looked like cousin it. Okay. So, most people know about Stephen King, but his books have sold more than 350 million copies, many of which have been adapted into feature films, miniseries, television series, and comic books. He has published 61 novels, including seven under the pen Whoa. name Richard Bachman. And six nonfiction books. One of those are his memoir on writing, which he produced in 2000. I remember reading that in high school. Very good. And he's written approximately 200 short stories. Dude has written so much stuff. Holy shit. And he's not stopping. Well, he's a big nerd. Yeah. He's not stopping. He's still writing. So. How old is he? Huh? How old is he? He was born in 1947. So he's 60 in 2007. So that means he's 72. That's the same. That's one year younger than Ted Bundy. What? Crazy. Weird. I prefer King. <laughs> so he's born Stephen Edwin King in Portland, Maine in 1947. The second son of Donald and Nellie Ruth Pillsbury King. Wow. Pillsbury. Um, Are they rich? But yes. And also, I just want to mention, I read the Wikipedia and then I was like, maybe I should go on to Stephen King's website and get this information from there. So there are like, you know, differing things from Wikipedia in here. So I I think what I'm reading has a little bit of an angle, but it's um, Tabitha King, Stephen King's wife, wrote this little bitty biography. So I'm going to trust Tabitha and just go with these facts. So... Tabby. Tabby. After his parents yep. separated when Stephen was a toddler, he and his older brother David were raised by his mother. Part of his childhood was spent in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Also, De Pere, Wisconsin was mentioned in the Wikipedia, but it's not mentioned in the Tabitha information. So I wonder what the heck happened to Wisconsin. Maybe he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah maybe it was like... <laughs> He's like, that wasn't yeah. important. <laughs> or she was like... Mm, yeah, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> that doesn't fit my narrative. <laughs> Wisconsin doesn't fit anyone's narrative. <laughs> As a child, okay, this is sad, um, but relevant. As a child, oh. King apparently witnessed one of his friends being struck and killed <gasps> by a train. <gasps> no. Though he has no memory of the event. So I think he has like that selective like memory loss like almost. Like me in that movie. Yes, like you and watching The Descent. He... <laughs> It's called, I don't remember. Google it. Can you Google it for me? Okay. I'll keep. Yeah. Sorry if you hear my typing. His. I'm moving my mic too. And so. Oh, it's called repression. Repression. Yes. As soon as I started typing, I knew it was called repression. So he must have. repressed memory. He must have repressed it because he has no memory of seeing this, but his family tells him that he went out to play with this kid 
And when wow. Stephen came back home, he was speechless and in shock. And they were like, Stephen, what happened? <gasps> and he just wasn't reacting. And only later did the family learn how this kid was killed. And they can only assume that Stephen watched it happen. And he just walked home and was like, oh. how did that didn't happen? I just watched. And I don't it doesn't say how old he was. Um, but some wow, commentators. Really yeah. Some have suggested that this event may have psychologically inspired some of King's darker works. Um, but King makes no mm. mention of it in that memoir on writing. So we don't really mm. know for sure. Well, can I just say this is what happens when you turn your dark thoughts into something productive. Yes. And you don't let them, you know, overtake. Yes. You. Anyway, Amazing. That's really horrible. And I'm sorry that that it is. It's so sad. And the I other know kid. the poor kid. And you think about like, have you seen the movie Stand By Me? It's an incredible film. But that's the premise. It's Stephen King later write, wrote a book called The Body. And it's sim- it's about a kid being killed by a train. But the whole premise of Stand By Me <gasps> is a group of kids who are all great friends. And they hear like this kid has been missing and they heard that he was killed by this train. So they take off walking down the train tracks to find this kid's body. That's what Stand By Me is about. A beautiful film. I would say top 10, 100%. <gasps> I went to film school and like it's in everybody's top 10 almost. It's so good. It is so good. <laughs> Anybody want to cry and feel emotion and just, oh my gosh, watch the movie Stand By Me. Incredible. Um, but okay, so now Steven is in Indiana. <laughs> He's taking screenshots now. Um, he's in Indiana, <laughs> but when Stephen turned 11, his mother brought them all back to Durham, Maine. And I feel like m- when I think of Maine, I think of Stephen King. Like, so much. Really? Yes. I think of crabs. Lobster. Lobster. I think of lobster and Stephen King. And I think that's because a lot of his stories are also set in Maine. And, like, that whole, mm-hmm. like, northeastern corner of the U.S. Another beautiful place. Yeah. Never been to Maine, but I would like to. Maine is definitely on the I bucket list. I would love list. to go there. Um, mm-hmm. So now he's back in Maine. He attends grammar school in Durham, Maine. And then Lisbon Falls High School graduates in 1966. He spends his um, college years at the University of Maine. And he wrote a weekly column for the school newspaper, The Maine Campus. Mm-hmm. He was cool. apparently active in student politics. And was on the student senate. Oh. He came to support the anti-war movement during Vietnam. Oh, yes. While he was at college. And then he graduated from the University of Maine in 1970 with a BA in English. And qualified to teach on the high school level. <gasps> me. Yeah, like Haley. That's me. Um, Except I'm not smart. Oh. <laughs> like <no>. he is. <laughs> um, but so apparently when he graduates in 1970, this is like prime draft time for the war and yeah. so he gets his draft board examination and mm. they found him on 4f grounds or they found him on four level 4f which i had to google like what 4f means during these draft examinations they didn't tell it you it means unfit <laughs> to serve in the military <laughs> why so he was found too much of a nerd found 4f on the grounds of high blood pressure 
<laughs> limited vision, mm-hmm. flat feet, and punctured eardrums. So they looked at Stephen King and were like, Oof. yeah, you're not fit to serve. We're going to pass. I would be unfit too. On account of idiocracy, um, earring holes, <laughs> asthma. You'd be found unfit. They don't draft women, Haley. We're not in the draft. Well, I'm just trying to say everything. That <laughs> <laughs> Let me say all the things what that about are wrong. you, Cece? <laughs> um, I'd be 4F on the grounds of emotions. No one oh, would trust me big. to have their back when <laughs> I'm freaking out about having my own goddamn back. On the grounds of manipulative bitch. <laughs> I'll take it. Don't draft me. She's a spy. <laughs> I would say I'm working for the Vietnamese and maybe they'd throw me in jail. <gasps> then you would go to a jail. <laughs> or flee to Canada. Okay. Wasn't that an option? Anyway. Um... So while he's at the University of Maine, he met Tabitha in the stacks of the Fogler Library, the stacks. where they both worked as what students in the library. So I think it was like a cute thing where they're like both re- like restacking mm-hmm. the books and are like, hi, oh, you must be Stephen. I'm Tabitha. I'm new here. And they're like, oh, we both like writing in English. Let's get married. So then they get married in 1971, like. Less than a year after. Really? Yes, less than a year after King graduates. Oh, my God. That's a dream. As an English major, I would – and the word stacks is, like, so romantic I to know. me. I <laughs> um, That's very, very, very yes. cute. And that needs to be a and movie. And they're still married, so it's even cuter, I think, you know, that they've lasted since the 70s. Holy cow. Anyway. That's so cute. The se- Well, yeah. They yes, I – and there's some struggles, which I'll get to later, with Stephen King's substance abuse. And she, stayed, she stays by him the oh. whole time. It's incredible. Good. So Stephen was unable to find placement as an English teacher immediately. So the Kings, mm-hmm. Tabitha and Stephen, lived on his earnings as a laborer, as an industrial laundry person, laundromat. Oh. So he did that. They lived off of her student loans. So like... Wow. They use that for living, not even just like education and Tabitha's savings. So <laughs> poor Tabitha. I know they did. They got married early. They did not. He have must a lot have of been money. very charming and handsome. Yes. They must have really, really liked each other to be like, we're going to get married and we have no plan and it's going to be a struggle, but yeah. we're going to do it anyway. And just, yeah, go through it together. Like, fully. yes. And meanwhile, he's doing some like short stories and selling them to men's magazines like Cavalier. Like so there's like a couple of boosts from there and his laundromat career. But like other than that, they have like no money. Yeah, the laundromat. So. Well. Yeah. That's sad. Starving artist. Right. That's how he starts. But then he made his Mm -hmm. first professional short story sale, The Glass Floor, to startling mystery stories in 19 oh this happens in 1967 okay so he makes his first short story sale yeah 19 yeah before before he graduates 21 um so then he's like submitting short stories to magazines and i guess they're all later kind of put into this anthology this collection called the night shift um and they're they're all like horror suspense thriller themed um so in fall fall of 1971 so the fall after he gets married Stephen finally gets a teaching job teaching high school English at Hampton Academy, 
in Maine. <gasps> Ooh. So yeah, so now he's working as a teacher. He writes in the evenings and on the weekends, continues to work on his short stories and work on novels. And that's kind of a dream of mine to be an English teacher in high school. Yes. I I totally totally feel that. Like if if you could have yeah. if I could have two career paths, the two career paths for mm-hmm. me were film or English teacher. Same. Except like business or an English major yeah. or an English teacher yeah. because I mean I would be an English teacher right now if it, it paid yeah oh yeah and I remember um who was it I think it was Mr. Moser did you ever have him in high school no but he but he's he was cool. he was pretty cool and he he told me something that I thought was surprising but he was like you become an English teacher thinking like you know i'll keep writing he's like but you get burnt out oh, like no. it's really hard to be an english teacher and to keep writing so i'm not in it for the writing oh yeah but for for him and i think that's so <laughs> so as i'm reading about stephen king being an english teacher and still doing his novels and stuff so much oh, dedication yeah. and we'll get to it later i'll get to it later his writing method was like if you're not reading or writing four hours every day He's like, you're never going to make it. Like, that's what it takes to be a writer. That's what he says. He's like, you need to. That makes sense. You need to to put that that much work in every day. It seems like a lot to me. And like, I guess if you're teaching on top of it, you're also probably reading and writing all day. But like spending all your Mm -hmm. weekends and evenings. Like, I don't think at this point Stephen King has kids, but he's married. So it's like. But also he's married to an English teacher or to another English person. So maybe they like read together and that's like a bonding thing for them is to like sit on the couch together and have their own books and do their own reading or do their own writing. I don't know. So that's yeah. I mean, when I think about it, four hours is not that long to sit down and read a book. But if I was writing straight for four hours, that would be like exhausting. Yes. And it's creative writing. Yes. And he also would give himself like these quotas of I need to write 2000 words a day. And if I don't write 2000 words, I my day doesn't end. So he 2000 purposeful. Words. Yes. You can't mm-hmm. even just like word vomit that shit. I did Nano mm-hmm. NaNoWriMo, the national novel writing writing month, which is November. NaNoWriMo it people Ooh. set yourself a writing goal and do it this November. Um but I did NaNoWriMo in my in like last fall and the goal they gave us was 15,000 words for the month of November. So that is 500 uh-huh. words a day. It was so hard. Mm. And that's a quarter yes. of what Stephen King has himself do. Like he would be done with NaNoWriMo in like seven and a half days, you know, like well, that yeah. challenge when for I, us anyway. I went and studied abroad in Ireland and there's no homework. There's no tests. There's nothing until the last week of school. You have like a three, a 3,500 word essay due for every class. And I waited till the fucking last week of school because I was traveling Europe. And I had to write 3,500 words a day. That's a nightmare. For each of my class subjects. That's such a nightmare, Haley. <laughs> I'm stupid. But it was kind of fun. Now, like looking back on it, it was kind of fun. I, but now... I would never do yeah, that. Yeah, it's hard. They introduced me to this app. I forget what the app is called, but the whole premise of it. So like for NaNoWriMo, I didn't have to write 
necessarily like purposeful good content the whole point was to get to the 15,000 word mark and to just get your ideas out there it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be 100% coherent and like follow all these logical rules but like you just have to write things and get your ideas down and one of the things they suggested we use is this app and I don't remember the name and honestly it probably doesn't matter but what it is it's like a it's like a word document that you go on to hmm. online. It's not like a program on you your download. Phone? You go onto it online on your desktop, on your laptop, and oh. you write. And every time you, the last time you click a key, a counter starts and it's got 10 seconds. And if you <gasps> don't hit another key in those 10 seconds, it erases everything you've done. So the whole, oh, the fuck whole that. point is like, that's just mean. It is mean, but the whole point is it's like this high pressure thing where like you write your sentence Whoa. and you're like, oh, what's the idea? And you watch the thing get down and you're like, oh my God, it can't disappear. I have to, another idea. And you just, so the whole point is that you like scare yourself into putting wow. all of your ideas down and you don't stop writing. And honestly, excuse me, I tried it and it's like the fastest writing I've ever done, you know, because you're so. And it didn't delete anything? Well, no, because I, I only set it to go for like 10 minutes. And honestly, I wrote like over a thousand words in those 10 minutes. Holy Because shit. I was like, gotta go. Well, can you ever get it back if you if it deletes? No, anything? that's no, that's the whole thing. <gasps> no, I would that's the that It's the myself. suspense. It's like the, you know, it's the risk you put yourself in. Yeah. And that's what motivates you to go so fast. Anyway, I wouldn't recommend it, but that's just how intense Stephen King is. He's teaching English. He's writing okay. on the evenings and on the weekends, and he's doing, like, it's just insane. So in the spring of yeah. 1973, Doubleday & Co., a publication house, accepted Stephen King's novel, Carrie, for publication. <gasps> that's his first ever novel. I, I didn't know that about him. I love Okay, what the fuck? I keep doing this, but Carrie is also one of my favorite films. Carrie is so good. I think that Carrie is a masterpiece. Carrie is stunning. I like as a film, like it's amazing. It's Have beautiful. you seen the original and the remake? I haven't seen the remake. Okay. Only the original. I thought the remake was all right. I think they did a good job of like raising the stakes a little bit because I feel like oh. there's an element of... I think that Carrie was made into a film only three years after that book was published in 76. I think it was it was like optioned. The movie <laughs> rights were optioned like right away. And um, I think they, good, they did a good job with the remake of raising the stakes because there's just like an element of like, I don't know. It's just so sad. It's so pathetic. Poor Carrie just gets pig's oh, blood yeah. dumped all over her. Like it's... Well, the thing that happens in the very end... Like this, the jump thing. Oh, yeah. The jump scare. That shit got me good. Yeah. Bro. That was so good. Oh, my God. I was like, <gasps> like hyperventilating. I love it. That was good. I, I just watched that this year, too. I'm not. A, I, I swear to God, I don't watch scary <laughs> movies. But now Only that I am, ones. like, they're some of my favorites, apparently. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So he... <laughs> Apparently, too, I read this. I forget where I read this because I don't see it in my notes. I must have read many different things as I was reading King. But um, apparently at this time that Carrie was accepted for publication, his like phone wasn't working because they hadn't paid the phone bill. So that was out. So the publisher had to send him a telegraph 
in the 70s. A telegraph. Had to send him a telegraph saying, you've been published. Here's your advance. Good luck. What's a telegraph? I, it's like that wire thing where they have to do, 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 do. I don't know. Like, beedy, beedy, beedy. Well, does they go to some person and then they deliver it by hand? It has yeah, it's to like be. a short message. And it's, yeah. Like fucking carrier pigeon. Yeah, basically in the pretty 70s. Um, and so then. That's pretty funny. And I epic, know that like such good well. news, <laughs> such li- good life changing news. And you're, you're like so broke mm-hmm. that your phone isn't working. So you don't even get to hear about it right away. They have to do this telegraph and- for you. Um, it makes for such a good story. <laughs> so his editor at Doubleday, that's who sent him, Bill Tom- Thompson. Um, and so then later after he finds out it will be published in 73, Bill Thompson lets him know that there will be like, it'll be sold on paperback and it's going to be huge. <clears throat> and King finds out he'll be able to leave teaching to write full time. So wait, so how do they know? Because it's huge. You're like. That's what your manager is supposed to say. Yeah. Like, it's going to be huge, bro. But it was huge. Good I job. mean, right more. It was, <laughs> I mean, the, the film version of Carrie came out in 76. So, like, they obviously had to start wow. it in, like, you know, like 74. Like, that, that film yeah. was snatched up. Like, those movie rights were snatched wow. up right away. He, right away. He really just made it immediately. That's very and, cool. That's yeah, that was his first novel. All his other short stories, I think, were, you know, well-received, too. And even in, like, the anthologies and collections they're published in, um, those are pretty popular, but not as big as the OG Carrie. The Carrie. Did his wife also quit? So all that I've seen is that she was a student longer. So she was a student longer than King was. And then um, it never mentions her having any kind of full time career other than I think she also is a writer. Um, I don't have any oh, I don't have okay. any information about Tabitha's writing, though. It's their whole family. Okay. Their children are writers. I think they have a daughter. They have oh, a daughter who's a oh, lesbian cool. and also a minister. I think I read. Cool. Um, and the sons <laughs> are writers, too. And one of their sons had like a really like well, like had a really like successful writing career but he published under a pseudonym pseudonym the whole time because he did not want his success to be hinged on the success of his father and it was later like his own publishers didn't know he was king's kid and when they found out they were like you son of a bitch we could have been promoting that shit this whole time and he was like oh yeah too bad sorry about it but i proved myself myself. (laughs) yeah deal with it Wow. So they're one of those cool. cute families that, like, I've read about acting families doing that, where, like, families of actors, they'll, like, yeah. get together on holidays and, like, um, perform little plays in front of each other. Like, they'll assign each other parts and stuff. Aww. They're, like, a writing family where, like, they all come together and they, like, share their manuscripts and share their pages. Like, oh, here's the next 12 pages of my book. Let me know. And they all get together and they critique it and stuff. They're all just, like... Okay, that's cool. Yeah, just really constructive. So, he writes Carrie... They move to Southern Maine because Stephen King's mother isn't doing too well. Um, Mm. Then he publishes his second novel, The Second Coming, which was then... Oh, and then he publishes Jerusalem's Lot, which becomes Salem's Mm -hmm. Lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. 
It says here Carrie wasn't published until 1974. So maybe he was told it was going to be published in 73. Um, Yeah. But then because his mother dies, he moves to Maine or he moves from Maine to Boulder, Colorado, and he writes The Shining. Like, literally, he does all of this in, like, the span of, like, a year. He is so prolific and so diligent with his writing schedule Mm -hmm. that he's producing these long books. Like, The Shining, I think, is a really long book. I've heard The Stand is his longest. It's, like, Mm -hmm. thousands of pages. The Shining, talk about stunning. Yes. Apparently, he hates that movie, though. I've never read the book. I but people who love I don't even know the plot, but I because I'm so I'm so scared. <laughs> but I watch it like on mute. Like my like my dad will watch it because he likes Stephen mm-hmm. King, and I will have my headphones in, but I'll watch the movie. Like it's just stunning. Yeah, it is. Like, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful and it's it's pretty freaky. But apparently, so I think that movie is mm-hmm. great. And apparently, he hates that movie. And people who love the movie will then go read the book. And everyone who reads the book is like, it's so much better than the movie. And the movie's already great. So, oh, like, yeah. apparently that's a good one to read. Wow. Maybe okay. that'll be my winter read when I f- am worried about mm. getting cabin fever. Um, scary. scary. So then they own a couple <laughs> of homes in Maine. And at their Maine yes. house <laughs> in the Lakes region of Western Maine, that's where he writes The Stand. And that's okay. his longest book, I think. And so then they spend some time in England. They purchase another home in Maine. I know now that, like, I just saw on Reddit, one of their Maine homes are being sold. And they have a home in Maine, or in Florida now. So they summer in, they winter in Florida. They summer in Maine. um, And they're selling one of the Maine houses. Hey. As to to become, like, a a writing retreat, almost. For other writers. Okay. And they'll have workshops there. It's so cool, like, that, a collaborative space, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. But it's so cool that he's a, he's rich, he's made it, he does things for himself and his family, but he still writes, and that's how you know that he really loves it. Yes, 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 yes. And he writes. So good for him. He writes good stuff. Like, if it wasn't good, you know, I don't think people would be talking about it this much. Like, I've read. I've never mm. read a full Stephen King novel. I've never read it. But I, I've i seen Same. Carrie. I've seen The Shining. I've watched. I'm pretty sure he did The Mist. I don't know about that one. Um, I'll Google it. I, but that's a good movie, too. Yes. And, <laughs> like, I would read the books, but I'm, I'm like, kind of afraid to read them. Um, yeah, he did he write did The it. Mist. Um, yeah. There's this, I think it's called Creep Show that I watched. He has this insane short story called Quitters Incorporated. And it's about people trying to quit bad habits. And I think I've only seen the short film version of it that's in Creepshow. It's like a horror anthology with a bunch of horror shorts back to back. But Quitters Incorporated is about a man who's trying to quit smoking. So he goes to this business called Quitters Incorporated. And their whole thing is like, if you sign this paper... You will quit smoking. And if you don't quit smoking, we will know. And we will first we'll electrocute your family pet. And <gasps> no. if you still smoke, we'll cut off the index your wife's index finger. And if you smoke again after that, like and it's like all these different tiers of like you are quitting cold turkey today. But if you keep doing these things, and it's like this man who's like 
signed up to quit smoking and then later he's like driving down the road and is like oh my god i really just need to i really need a cigarette so he pulls one out and starts to light it and the man in the car next to him is like watching him like a hawk and it's like everyone almost is employed by quitters incorporated to police these people and then he's in his own home he's in his own home he's in his bedroom and he closes all the blinds and is like i'm just gonna have a quick cigarette and he looks into his closet and there's like a pair of legs (gasps) that you can't see the rest of the body because it's hidden by hanging clothes in the closet and then when he goes to like open it there's no one there but it's like how he has he has to quit because if he doesn't Everything he loves will be destroyed because these people are watching him. But is it him. just in his mind if it's really not there? I don't know. They make it seem like it's really there. So, but I love that. I hate and that. And so many. You just, that's like a scary thing that I'm going to have a drink I'm about. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's um, okay. So. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> so as we're talking about, um, I'll finish up with King shortly. Um, okay. Sorry. I'm looking at my puzzle. Dude, no worries. No worries. Um. <laughs> But he wrote this book called Rage, and I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's about no. the thing is, that's really sad is it's about a school shooting. And it's about a kid who commits mm-hmm. a school shooting and rage. You cannot buy rage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't buy a new copy of the book because they it is no longer published and it's no longer published Censored. at King's request because. Oh, I don't know if it was in the 90s or when it was. I don't know if it was related to Columbine or what school shootings. Mm -hmm. But there was a series of like two or three school shootings where every Mm. one of the shooters had a copy of Rage. Yep. Yeah. On their bookshelf. And eventually King was like, Mm. I think at first, because he's been adamant about like not banning violent video games because he's like, that doesn't make people violent. Like that's not... That's that's censorship. But yeah. he has but it was like a consistent thing where all of these school shooters owned a copy of Rage and he was like, wow. I'm fucking done. He's like, I, I'm not going to contribute to this anymore. And I looked those up on eBay and they sell for like thousands yeah. because they don't exist. That's what I thought. You can probably read it like illegally online or something. Not saying anyone should, but, you know, there's some morbid don't. curiosity about it where it's like, what about yeah. this book? attracts these people that are so struggling and in so much pain and so in this mindset that it's okay to do that like really it totally is so that's a crazy thing where it's like Mm -hmm. king has himself decided he will not publish that book anymore he's just so here's a funny thing so this was written by tabitha and i just wanted to share this because it's a weird blurb about king's appearance um okay so it says stephen is of scots irish ancestry stands at six foot four very tall tall. and weighs about 200 pounds he is blue-eyed fair skinned and has a thick has thick black hair with a frost of white most noticeable in his beard which he sometimes wears between the end of the World Series and the opening of baseball spring training in Florida. (laughs) Such a weird detail. That's just some, like, that's just some, like, that must be an inside joke or something. It must be. Occasionally. I'm going to look him up. Yes. Occasionally, he wears a mustache, much like Victor and Noah. Um, Oh, hi. And he has worn glasses since he was a child. So that was a cute blurb. I'm not going to. Um, I already told you about how much he writes 
2,000 words, four to six hours a day. Oh, yeah. I should tell you about his sobriety stuff. Um, oh, yes. So in the early 1970s, which is like when he's in college and when he's marrying Tabitha, like 70 and 71, um, he developed a drinking problem, which would plague him for more than a decade. So soon after Carrie's release in mm. 1974, and his mother died of Ooh. cancer. Um, what a high and a low. He was, yes, he was drunk while delivering the eulogy at his mother's funeral. Apparently, oh so God. it must have all been related. Dealing with grief, wow. really tough. He has, he had addictions to alcohol and other drugs that were so serious during the 80s um, that he acknowledges in that memoir of his on writing that he can barely remember writing the entire book Cujo, the one about the killer dog. <gasps> he doesn't even remember writing Whoa. it. Like that he has... <gasps> Must have been coke. I think that was cocaine for him. So shortly after Cujo was published, his friends and family staged an intervention where apparently they'd mm. all been collecting evidence of his problem. So when they have this intervention in front of him, they dump his beer cans, his cigarette butts, his grams of cocaine, okay. his Xanax, his Valium, his NyQuil, his dextromethorphan. I don't know what that drug is. Cough medicine. Yeah, that's Cough right. medicine. <laughs> and his marijuana. And Weed apparently that kills. was exactly the wake-up call that he needed. And in his memoir, he said he sought help, he quit, and he has been sober since the late 80s. No alcohol Good for him. either. That would not work for many, many people. I know. I mean, it sounds like he has a lot of people who cared about him, so he took it pretty seriously. Um And in 1999, he had a really serious car accident where he was walking on the side of the road and a man in a van hit him. (laughs) Apparently, the man, um, what's his name? Brian Smith had an unrestrained dog in the back seat and he was like turning back to like get the dog to calm down or whatever. And he hit King walking on the side of the road. He like, what did he do? He King's lung was collapsed. He had fractures in his right leg. His scalp was lacerated. He had a broken hip. Um, his leg bones were so shattered that the doctors initially considered amputating his right <gasps> leg, um, but they decided not to. And so they were able oh to stabilize gosh. his bones and fix his lung. And wow. yeah, I did not know that at all. So he's got some chronic pain issues, but he's still sober. And apparently his lawyers purchased, um, Brian Smith, the guy who hit him, purchased his van for $15,000 to prevent it from appearing on eBay. Like, which, Ew. like, is so sick that someone would be like, I want the That's car that creepy. hits Stephen Why King. would you buy? Yeah. But apparently the lawyers crushed the van and King was very disappointed because he himself wanted to smash it. So he was like, fuck, you guys, oh. I wanted to destroy that myself. Wait, can you hear that thing? No. Here, I'm holding my mic to it. It's something is outside of my window in the past like week that sounds like the sound that it is when you get FaceTimed. It's like, but it's like, it's like consistent. That's weird. I don't know what that is. It must be like a heater or something because that's like what the only thing I could think of that would have just started this. Sure, week. yeah. But it's a very weird noise. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. it's fine. I didn't hear it though. As long as no one can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so then the next person I'm gonna do is Ray Bradbury. 
Fuck Ray Bradbury. In a good way? Uh, <laughs> I like his stories, but he is who fucked me up on my ACT when I was in Oh, yeah. Then fuck Ray Bradbury. I got like a 36 or something insane and awesome on my first English like reading round. And then I got this horrible, like I got like a really hard story on the second round. And actually nowadays, apparently you can just take whatever the highest score is, no matter what test it is. Like if you get a 36 in your English or reading on the first one, and then in the second one you get a better math score, but a worse reading score, you can take the other reading score. Oh, that's messed up. They did not let us do that. Yeah. We had to retake the whole thing. And so I got a really good grade on the first one. And then the second one, I got like a 28 or something, which isn't bad, but like it really pissed me off. I think that's what I got on my score ACT down. score. So I did think I. I got a 28. But it, it could have been better if I didn't have such a hard Ray Bradbury Dude, story. Dude, people that I've dated... That has come up in conversation. And I'm like still self-conscious about it when people are like, oh, I got so many points better than you. I'm like, shut up. Like, why is this still matter? Well, I just brought it It up It doesn't matter. Only because I'm bitter about Ray Bradbury. Not because I fuck. I don't even remember what my exact score was. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, it really doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure I got it. I'm pretty sure I got a 28. And I'm pretty sure... I think um, I did too. Well, I know. I took a tutor. I had a tutor for the ACT Ooh. after my first 28. And then I got a 28 again. And I was literally so Ooh. discouraged. <laughs> I think my mom was like, go for another one. Like, try to get a scholarship. No. And I literally was like, absolutely not. No. I am done. <laughs> well, we have a lot of really smart friends. Like, our 28s were not good enough, even though that's really exceptional. Like, we had a friend who got a 35. Brett. Oh yeah, we, my my one of my best friends got. A we called we called Brett thirty one. We called Brett B. Um, the walking calculator though when we were young. So who? Everyone in I math didn't. class. Oh, one hundred percent. Dude could do so much math I in his head. Not. I would never call someone a calculator. I am not a bully. It was not a bully. <laughs> Dude was freaking proud. He was like the smartest. Kid I think I up. always called him Brett because I had a crush on him. He or his. T, his mom still wants us to get married. Except now he has this amazingly cool girlfriend. So now she probably isn't thinking about Bummer, me. man. Like Kelly, his mom. <laughs> anyway, you can cut that. <laughs> no worries. This whole, so much of this. Victor will know. So much of this podcast is talking about, is us talking about people who went to high school or elementary school. Oh, so. yeah. This is not. All of our other v- listeners are like, who are these people? I'm They're not relevant. <laughs> They're relevant to us. I'm okay? sorry. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> not really, but you know, we both have we have mutual memories of them, so yes, we can relate. Yes, yes. Um, but so let's talk about Ray Bradbury <laughs> anyway. here. And I've been teasing okay. to Haley. Um, so I'm so glad you briefly mentioned my oh. house. Oh yes. Um, because there's some information that's gonna fuck you Should up, I Haley. Say something. Should I say something more about your house? Because I don't know. You okay? So to refresh, you've said my house is scary, state. but like, and you describe the tall okay. windows. It has concrete mm-hmm. floors. Um, it's a tri-level. Yep. Right? Is that what it's considered? It's a beautiful like, um, like it's just stunning. It's like built into the nature, like how you build houses in, in the nineteen sixties or seventies or whenever. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright inspired. It was born. It was made in the 60s, 64. 
Okay, that's what I thought. It's like mid-century, Frank Lloyd Wright, stunning windows. The basement is like half into the ground. It's it's an amazing house. Like it is my favorite house I've I've ever been in. Like definitely. Thank you. Well, I so shout out Amy and Joe. My mom. Good my work. mom decided to move here. My parents had just built a house in Ashapin, Wisconsin, and. Mm-hmm. Um, they had just built a house and my grandparents had to move. They lived on this lake and the taxes, I think, were too much or something. So they decided to relocate. Yeah. And as my mom is going on these house tours with them, they toured this house I'm in right now. And my mom fell in love and like looked at my dad and was mm. like, we just built a house, but I need yeah. to live in this house. And so we yeah, moved she like, right. only a couple years later. Um but oh so you guys bought the house right then yeah <laughs> that's awesome and there that's that's how we met each other yes it's i'm so glad it that's worked out that way cool. but um Same. so before we talk too much about ray uh, so okay so we mentioned the house what the house looks like yes. i have to get to this later mm-hmm. because this fact is only interesting once you know who ray bradbury is so oh my god it relates to this house though okay. it's insane so Ray Bradbury, okay, I really want to know. Ray Bradbury is an American author and screenwriter. He worked in a variety of genres, um, but primarily fantasy, science fiction, horror, and mystery fiction. <gasps> Ooh, scary, spooky. Um, so Ray Bradbury was born on August twenty second, nineteen twenty, in Waukegan, Illinois, a Midwestern boy, to Esther, nice. a Swedish immigrant, and Leonard, a power telephone lineman of english ancestry so they're in illinois those are good names esther and leonard that's like a power couple yes and they are they totally are my next person didn't really have a great parent presence either and Stephen king didn't really have his dad so like this ray bradbury has got both parents and they are in it to win it motherfuckers okay okay so apparently ray bradbury is descended from mary bradbury who was tried at one of the Salem witch trials in 1692. <gasps> wow. That's, I, yeah, that's very cool. I think I've heard her name before. For, yes. I think because of that fact. Um, really quick, we might need to pause because I think I'm hearing weird static from you. Can you talk again? From me again? I'm yes. not hearing it. I hear it now. Okay. Let me... What should I do? Unplug and replug? Or do yeah. I stop it? I don't should know I if it will stop it. Why don't you try it? And if it doesn't work, like, do this and I'll stop too. I'm scared that we're going to lose it. Okay, I'm doing it. Okay, it's plugged back in. You know what, too? Your image got pixelated for me, so maybe it's a... Microphone change. Well, is it normal now, the sound? No, it's a little different, but you're pixelated, too, now, so maybe it might be my internet, then? I mean, uh, I look fine. Yeah. Is the sound better? It's still a little weird. It, it honestly might just be the internet here. So if you, if you sound good, I think we can proceed. Well, I don't hear it. Okay. It could cool. just be your Skype. It's probably just your Skype. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. No worries. Okay, it's fine. Hopefully it's fine. It no looks worries. fine to me on my end. Okay. I'll just pick up from the witch trials thing then. Okay. Cool. Okay, so. Ray Bradbury grew up uh, with his aunt reading him stories when he was a child, and that provided him foundations for his future stories. That's kind of what got cool. him into reading and writing, is his aunt telling well, I him think stories. When it comes to storytelling, and this might be a hot take, but I think that there is a nature versus nurture aspect to storytelling. Like, you can be born with an ability, but there's also a, an algorithm that you have to learn when you're like a child yes like you kind of have to get into it early a little bit yeah like I remember being read to and like I told like well I'm an English major I can fucking say this I'm just I'm gonna brag about myself ever since I was little I've been very very good at reading and understanding like um both grammar and narrative and I think it's because of my mom and how she read to me and stuff like when you're oh, a baby shout out to like Shelly. Two, thanks mom she doesn't listen but um sorry <laughs> when you're two you can still read like a complex narrative to your kid like not a scary one but doesn't have to be fucking dumb yeah like, you can be dr seuss it doesn't have to be a baby book <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say oh for sure for sure. And that's the thing where like even like moving back in with my parents, there's like there's like a mm-hmm. bookshelf in my room that's filled with books. Like Baby and books? I look back at all of them. No, those those have been long cast oh. into like the back <laughs> guest bedroom. But um, oh, yeah. I have like all the books that I read when I was in middle school and I'm like, oh, my God, my parents bought me so many books like I do I mean- not. I did not need to own this many books. And I remember going to the library all the time, too. So I'm like, look at all this reading being done. Reading is fun. Oh, yeah. I, I really hope that this is picking up my sound. Sorry, I interrupted you. No worries. The sound waves are showing up, but the mic, it looks kind of weird. Oh. Do you want to stop? Looks... No. Okay. It's picking up sound on the waves, so it has to be there. Okay. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, you're fine. You're fine. I was talking about how I, much I I think read. it's an easy cut, though. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Because you said, um, there's so much reading going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's so, a ton of reading. <laughs> eventually, the Bradbury family settles in Los Angeles in 1934 when Ray Bradbury was 14 oh. years old. They oh, arrived just like Madonna... They arrived in L.A., except for she arrived in New York, um, with only $40. Well, how much is that now? Not that much still. The equivalent now, so I do have the equivalent. It's equivalent to about $750 now. Whoa, that's Inflation's insane. Well, still, that's nothing. So their $40 in 1934 paid for rent and food. Until the father finally found a job making wire at a cable company for $14 a week, which apparently Uh today is equivalent to $262 a week. So not a lot of money. Not a lot to have a whole family. No, for a whole family. And I don't have any information about whether or not he has 
siblings. So it's oh. at least a three-person household, at least, which yeah. still. Wow. Um, so he's in Los Angeles. He attends Los Angeles High School and yeah. was active in the drama club, and he often would roller skate through Hollywood in hopes of meeting celebrities. Oh, that was like his favorite pastime. That's cute. That sounds like fun. (laughs) I know. I would love to do do that. that. (laughs) Nothing better to do. Let me just roller skate through Hollywood and hope I run into some, you know, just beyond the scope. Yeah. And it's not quite as crowded as it is now in L.A. (laughs) Yes. Probably not in 1934. And you can live on $40 for rent. (laughs) What? Wow. Even now, the equivalent to 750. Uh, roughly $750 like there's nothing that's like probably sharing a bedroom in like a three-bedroom apartment that's probably well I was listening to a podcast today um and that's why we drink that's what it's called and M said that she stayed on a couch a futon couch that didn't even pull out for $900 a month in a living room oh my god living out of her suitcase when she first moved to LA that cannot even be true. 900 to live on a couch? I pay for that in my huge apartment. Yeah. 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 I had that apparently. conversation with someone just like on Saturday, one of my coworkers at Lakefront, wow. about like wanting to move to a coast, but like you get oh, yeah. so much more, like so much more for your dollar here in the Midwest. So yeah. much more that like the career opportunities are probably worth it, but it, like quality, your quality of life drastic downhill and it's all about making it that's the worst part you're just hustling and hustling and hustling Mm -hmm. trying to make it yeah how do you know if it's ever gonna happen i don't know so ray bradbury (laughs) (laughs) um he's his he's an avid reader avid writer knew always knew he was going into the arts he's always said that um and you know he grew up in the 30s so that's the great depression um yeah. And whenever he wanted to write like a little story or something, he wrote on whatever paper was available. And sometimes that would be butcher paper, which I just assume is like that weird <laughs> kind of waxy paper that they wrap mm-hmm. meat up in. Um, yeah. yeah. So he spent a lot of his time at the library. Love libraries. Accessible oh to God. all. Education for all. Libraries. Oh my god. You know what I was thinking about the other day though? Books in libraries have to be so dirty. Oh, they have to be. Because you can't clean paper. You I mean, can you? Uh-uh. You can't really. Can you disinfect I know they don't disinfect it. I worked at the library. We didn't do shit. We just put it right back on the shelf. Have you ever read or read a book and seen like a food spot, but you're like, oh, oh god, yeah. what is that spot? I've read so mm-hmm. many books. I remember one of our libraries at Aaron growing up giving us a lecture about eating while we really? read books. And it's affected me all my life where like if I have to eat oh. while I'm reading, I like go really far away and like <gasps> eat a little bit and then go back to reading. What? But I'm like very conscientious. Yes. I'm, it was like uh-uh. it wasn't the library we had for most of our youth. She like was only there for a couple of years. I know her though. Was it Mrs. Thompson? Was that her name? Mm-hmm. Did I make that up? Mm, maybe. I don't know. It wasn't but, Mrs. Uh, 
Baggio. Baggio? We are name dropping so many people. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm the was. culprit for a lot of food stains in books. It's Dude. me. If you're ever wondering, it was me. <laughs> and even today, like, my legal pad at work is full of coffee rings. <laughs> Bruh. It's no. bad. I, was, I had to show my boss, like, some calculations that I did. And I had to show him it on my legal pad. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> It's it like, happens. Oh, this purple thing is just a hibiscus tea. Like, <laughs> yes, my anyway. purple hibiscus tea. Um, I'm just quirky. <laughs> I love it. Um, so yeah, Ray Bradbury doing his thing during the depression. Um, spends all of his time as the at the library because it's free, and it's when free. you have no money. And you're struggling in Los Angeles. You spend your time at the library. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 12, he began writing traditional horror stories. Oh. And he credits uh, his favorite authors as he's reading at the library. Maybe this will give you a hint as to who my third person is. H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, and Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. And at 12, when he's writing these <laughs> horror stories, he's trying to imitate Poe. Yeah. And he does that until he's 18. So for six years of his life, he's writing stories and reading Edgar Allan Poe and being like, is this close? Like, am I emulating yeah. this guy? Is this good? Like, <laughs> someone let me know. Um, well, I hope the next guy is Poe. You don't have to say yes or no, but that's one of, he's my, one of my favorite authors of all time. Yes. I'm going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe. What a Yay. weird dude. What a weird dude. The he's Raven. my third person, though, and I always put Quoth less effort Raven. into the third person. So feel free to fill in the, the details. Do you remember how many uh, interps we had to listen to about the Raven? Yes. I remember yeah. what's the one where it's like a prisoner during the Spanish Inquisition and there's like rats that are like chewing through Ew. things and they're going to chew through him. I don't know what the, the name but, is. I don't know what the oh, name is. Oh, maybe it's the pit. Maybe that's what <gasps> I'm thinking of. Do you remember the pit? It's like no. this weird pit full of spikes, I think. Anyway, that might be the rat thing too. I'm not I super remember, familiar yeah. with Poe beyond the raven or the pit. And I don't even know that much about the pit. I just I remember like reading it. Oh, the telltale heart. Isn't that him? Mm-hmm. The oh, heart under I the floorboard. Love that one. Yeah, boom, that boom, one's my other boom, favorite. Boom, boom, boom. That was yes. the, that was group and terp. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. That's what we always had to listen to. It was the Telltale Heart. Um. So he's writing stories to imitate Poe, and he also makes like his own comics. And he really likes Edgar Rice Burroughs, the guy who made Tarzan. Oh. Tarzan of the Apes. He wrote that book, and he also wrote John Carter of Mars, which I never knew what that was until I watched like the weird movie John Carter, and it was weird. But <laughs> it, I get why a young dude liked it. Yeah. Um, and he loved what was it, The Warlord of Mars, which I only assume is another Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, book. And he loved that book so much that at the age of twelve, he just wrote his own sequel. He was like, oh. I. I will write my fan fiction now. That is fan fiction. <laughs> yes. That's nice. Um, and he listened to the radio show Shandu the Magician. And every night when the show went off air, he would sit down and write the entire script from memory. So this <gasps> guy. What the fuck? 
I know. I'm like, how do you remember that whole thing? Like, I don't know. But just a writer from the beginning. That's another, like, narrative practice. (laughs) Yes. If you're going to say, like, that's a a form of studying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just practicing writing. Even Mm -hmm. if it isn't your own words. Even if you're just memorizing. Or summarizing. Truth. Uh, in 1936, he was at a secondhand bookstore in Hollywood, and he discovered a little, like, handbill promo for a meeting of the Los Angeles Science Fiction Society. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what? There are other people who are into this? Just and like he started attending the society every Thursday night, weekly, when he was 16. So he started there, and... Um, that was when he got into H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. So I think Poe was more of his thing at the library. Yeah. But then when he went to the Science Fiction Society is when he was introduced to those other two. So there's more shenanigans about him, like, roller skating around Hollywood, which I <laughs> think so is fun. so funny. And I totally, like, romanticize that. Like, in the 1930s, yeah. skating around Hollywood, like, let me see that in a film adaptation like that sounds glamorous and fun and just youthful he's Um, lucky to have skates if he was that poor right like i don't know maybe he borrowed it from one of his society buds um but anyway so he's into the club he's writing and his first published story was hollerbachen's dilemma which appeared in the January of 1938 issue of the fanzine and imagination. So whatever that means. I don't know. In July 1939, um, oh, the owner of the fanzine, Forrest J. Ackerman, gave 19-year-old Bradbury the money to go to New York oh. for the first world science fiction convention in New York <gasps> City. It's like Comic-Con. Yes. It's like, but these people who he wrote this, he wrote for their fanzine, they like gave him the money to go. Like, wow. Like a patron almost. In him. It, it, yeah, yeah, that is a patron. Literally. And so he got there and then he funded his own fanzine, Futuria Fantasia and he wrote most of the four issues there were only a hundred copies each and he also contributed to Rob Wagner's film magazine script so he is publishing stories writing for these magazines um and he was free to start his career in writing when because of his bad eyesight he was rejected Ooh. admission into the military during World War II. There that was a it really is. funny thing I noticed. We're yeah. like, Stephen King wasn't drafted. And it seems to me like Ray Bradbury willingly volunteered for yeah. World War II, but he was still Ooh. rejected. <laughs> and it's like, what am I supposed to do with all these feelings? Guess I'm going to write. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so he's been inspired to write science fiction novels. And he keeps publishing in fanzines. It's 1938, still publishing. And then finally, he joined a Players Guild where he wrote and acted in several plays. And he later described them as, quote, so incredibly, so incredibly bad, unquote. <laughs> um, 
that he gave up playwriting for two decades. He didn't touch that form of art at all. And then he wrote the piece Pendulum, and that made it into a pulp magazine. And it was his first paid piece. He earned $15 for it. And then eventually he sold the story The Lake for thirteen seventy five. <laughs> that's nothing. At twenty two. <laughs> like yeah, like no money. Like that's yeah. not even a full forty dollars amount yeah. of rent, dude. Um but the full time writing came at age twenty four, which I think is really young for a full time writer. That? At least to, by today's standards. Oh, Maybe yeah. back then not so much. Um but then his first collection of short stories, Dark Carnival, was published in 1949 by Arkham House in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Just Wisconsin. like a little small publisher. Oh, Sauk City there. Sauk City there. And Wisconsin. apparently people reviewed Dark Carnival, that thing that was published in Wisconsin, and Will Cuppy um, said it was suitable for general consumption. That's his quote. <laughs> They what say the same we- thing about, like, like cheese, like, from a can. <laughs> suitable for general consumption. It's not good. It's not bad. It's suitable for general consumption. It's, That's what we should refer to our podcast as. It's, it's suitable, suitable for, for general, general consumption. consumption. I'm captioning all of our promo for this episode. <laughs> Say it now. Suitable um, for general consumption. Okay. Here's a question. Should we start, like, Naming our pod, our episodes was like fun names instead of just the people. Yes. <laughs> Should we do suitable yes. for general consumption today? Yes. Okay. That's we'll, we'll send that to Grant. Okay. Um. So then he, you know, he's going back and forth with these publishing companies, getting rejected, getting accepted, whatever. Story of an artist. We've heard this with everyone, from musicians to painters to writers. And so he receives a rejection notice from the pulp magazine Weird Tales. Then he submits his story Homecoming to Mademoiselle, which was spotted by a young editorial assistant named Truman Capote. (gasps) Wow, cool. I knew you'd gasp. Yes, I did. In Cold Blood. That book fucked me up. Oh, I wish I was yeah. talking about Truman Capote and not uh, Edgar Allan Poe because we need to talk about <laughs> Okay, Capote. we can talk about him in the future. We will. Um, but so he picked Bradbury's manuscript from a slush pile, which I assume what? is just What's like that? in I, I assume it's just like in publication houses where people submit and they just like throw it in the pile. Like people without representation, without agents, like yeah. people who just like send things. They're like, haha, OK, whatever. Throw it in the Dude. pile. And the slush pile, I assume I'm assuming is like what they go to when they're desperate, when they're like, we need something new. We need something fresh. You know Let's what? Give these randos a try. It's probably based on a slush pile that is created after snowfall. Like, it's the leftover shit. Yes. It's, like, the weird shit that's, like, grown gray yeah. from tires and dirt. And people are, like, I don't really know about this. But if you're yes. thirsty and you're starving, you need to drink the water from the slush pile. <laughs> Don't go for the slush pile. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he picked – Capote picked the manuscript and it got published. And it won Homecoming. The story won – a place in the O. Henry Award Stories of 1947. Wow. From the slush And so from there, from there, Ray Bradbury is still, you know, 
he's still utilizing free resources. He goes to the library library at UCLA where they have a study room with typewriters for rent. Oh. And it's there that he writes his classic story of a book-burning future, mm. The Fireman, mm-hmm. which is later renamed Fahrenheit 451. Yes, that's his most famous story. The beginning of that book, Insane. oh my gosh. I don't think I've read the full. I might. I may have read all of Fahrenheit 451. Probably. So good. So good. It cost him $9.80 to make it, though, because of the typewriter rental fees. Wow. How much did he ten make cents off of it? Of 10 cents. Wait. Oh. The typewriter rental fees were 10 cents per half hour. Let's do this math. How many cents? How many half hours? Wait, I have a calculator. In, in... If so, if it cost him what? $9.80 and it was 10 cents per half an hour. So that means it took hours. him four. No, it's half. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> no, but it's half per half hour. So it's half of 98. Right? Stupid. Neither of us are math majors. <laughs> Wait, if it was 98 half hours, then isn't it times two? No, it's divided by two. <laughs> yeah, it's divided by two. It's 49. So it's four- <laughs> That's yeah. not that long. I work 40 hours a hours. week. <laughs> yeah, so it took him a week of hard. That's insane. Such a good book. Um, but you know what? That I think is where I'm going to end it with. Um, we love you, Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. And do you want me to tell you now the weird factoids yes, about this house yes, that I'm in currently? Yes, yes, yes. So, my parents always told me this. This house was designed by this guy named Chuck. And I guess Chuck. I don't think he studied under Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh. I think he studied under someone who worked with Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh. So he's a couple removed. of degrees removed. But Frank Lloyd Wright's from Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. And this house was made for a, na- for a man named. Oh, my God. I'm going to mess it up. I pulled it up here, though. This guy's name is Wyman Gwynn. That's who constructed it. Chuck, this guy, I forget Chuck's last name. Yeah. Chuck is the guy who designed and was like the architect of this house. Um, Wyman Gwynn is the first man to live in this house. Okay. This house was built in 1964. He lived there by himself? Wyman Gwynn lived in this house in 1964. I don't know if he had any family or not, oh, okay. but he is a science fiction writer who was published with Ray Bradbury in some of these early essays and short fiction stories. And the publication I have pulled up is the August of 1951 issue of Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. And in it, Wyman Gwynn's story Beyond Bedlam is published with Ray Bradbury's A Little Journey. Oh, Wow. The dude who lived, wow. like, literally, he walked in this basement. He lived, I, I mean, I don't think he lived in my bedroom. He probably <laughs> lived where my parents' yeah. bedroom is. But this guy, Wyman Gwynn, and my parents, I remember them telling me that, like, the dude who first lived here was a really weird, eccentric guy yeah. who wrote these really weird short stories. And I've never read anything of, from him. And as I'm researching Ray Bradbury and Stephen King, I was like, hey, What's the name of that guy? Like, I remember you guys telling me about this a long time ago, but, like, 
who is this guy? And they mentioned it. And my mom was like, I told her I was going to do HP Lovecraft for my second person because that could have been my second person because he definitely Mm -hmm. influenced King. Um, But she was like, yeah, he was published with what's that guy who did all the Mm -hmm. all the uh, sci fi short stories. Yeah. Ray Bradbury. So like, I found this thing. This dude lived here. That's insane. He lived here. This was his writer's retreat. He wrote so many interesting. um, I should look up. I got to say, your house definitely fosters creativity and imagination. Like, well, maybe it's because of this dude. There is an aura of art and like, it's so cool. It's such an awesome house. Vibes, bro. Thank it's you. the vibes. But, it, but apparently the stories are like creepy too. Like, so well, he has it's this a book creepy living way out. house <laughs> at times. Yeah. They have this book living way out in 1967 and the standing joy in 1969. I think my dad read one of them and he was like, uh-uh. Like whatever Fuck. was in it. Made him nope out. And apparently he lived in this house while he was from 64 to 67. So he probably wrote, probably wrote Living Way Out while he was in okay, this house. Okay, and yeah, I've written a lot about how architecture affects, like, your writing. Wow. I'm sure there are some instances where he refers to the house, like, subconsciously or def- – you should read it. I need to read yeah. it. I need to read it. And I wish I read it before this episode. That's okay. Pissed Next time. I didn't read it. Or whenever you decide oh, yeah. to read it, you can just tell us. <laughs> yes. No, I will. I'll give my review. And honestly, it'll probably freak me out about this house. Like if he describes anything, I'll oh, be like, yeah. that's his house. Yeah. Because that's where he was. Um, I'll see if I could buy it on my Kindle. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, the last person is Edgar Allan Poe. Ooh, we love Um even King talks about Poe. Like, Ray Bradbury tried to emulate Poe when he was in his teens. He's truly the OG of gothic he is. and oh my God. emotional writing. Like Everyone <sighs> who went through the public U.S. school system and had an English class in high school read some Poe. Probably the you know, Raven and the Telltale Heart. They've heard the Raven and the Telltale Heart. They've heard it all. So let's talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Alan is not a part of his original name. He's just Edgar Poe um, in Boston when he was born on January 19th of 1809. He's the second child of English-born actress Elizabeth Arnold Hopkins Poe. An actress. Yes, and the actor David Poe Jr. So he's like a show show kiddo. Uh He has an older brother named William Henry Leonard Poe and a younger sister named Rosalie Poe. And apparently his father abandoned the family in 1810 and his mother died a year later from consumption, which is tuberculosis. So he was basically orphaned. That's not general consumption. Yeah. Consumption. (laughs) Please cut that. Truth. (laughs) (laughs) No. Fuck. Um. So then he's basically an orphan because his dad's not around wow, and his mother is sad. gone. And he was taken into the home of John Allen, Allen. a successful oh. merchant in Richmond, Virginia, who dealt in a variety of goods, including tobacco, cloth, wheat, tombstones, and slaves. Wow. Oh. Well. Yeah. Jack yeah. of all trades and one of them is bad. Yeah. 
I was like, literally, as I read this, I was like, tobacco, cloth, wheat, tombstones, slaves. Like, it just got worse. What like, year was this? 1810. Um, I guess it makes sense. 1811. 1811, because his mother died a year later. But I mean, these we know wealthy what's people. But... Yes. But these wealthy people, the Allens, decide to adopt adopt Poe but not formally adopt him so they're kind of his foster family um and they gave him the name Edgar Allan Poe makes sense but they never formally adopted him and John Allen alternately spoiled and aggressively disciplined Edgar Poe so (laughs) I don't know how you make sense of that when it's like I'm spoiled (laughs) I'm aggressively disciplined I know the feeling. I don't know how you maneuver I, that. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not, yeah. I can see how that works. <laughs> oh my it's like God. when you're disciplined so much that you feel bad and then you buy a bunch of shit for your kid. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, Here's what, money. Do I, what, what did I even do? What did I even do? Um, so the family sailed to Britain in 1815 and Poe attended grammar school there for a short period in Irvine, Scotland, and then rejoined the rest of the Allen family in London in 1816. He studied at boarding school in Chelsea until 1817. Um, yeah, this is a lot of him studying. And then they go back to Richmond, Virginia in 1820. And um, okay, so in 1825... John Allen's uncle and business benefactor, William Galt, died, who was said to be one of the wealthiest men in (gasps) Richmond, Virginia, and left the Allen family several acres of real estate. And that um, inheritance was estimated to be $750,000, which today is $17 million. Holy balls. So there is an influx of wealth into the Allen family and they purchased this big home and Poe had a gambling addiction who doesn't (laughs) I don't hey I know how you play bar dice (laughs) that was pure pressure that was manipulation by the bartender I've literally never seen a bartender We've talked about this. I've never seen a bartender we have talked force about this someone into playing dice and then make them pay for, like, gold schlager shots. Like, that's BS. It was messed up. I will say it's never happened to me since. Oh. So what I've learned is to just stay away from the little speakeasy yet. <laughs> I like that bar, but, okay, yeah, same. Well, I haven't been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Not since then. Um so then he attends the University of Virginia, and the university was in its infancy and was established on the ideals of Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. who founded the university. This is how far this, back in time we are. I, like, Thomas Jefferson is still around. I, I knew that Edgar Allan Poe was an American writer, but he's truly American. Like, he was born here. He definitely has an, a European, like, uh, aura about his writing. And it, this is interesting. I didn't know he was fully he's American. Like, yeah, he's like, so he was born in 1809. He's like only like maybe like the second yeah. generation of like Americans, um, like America exists. Wow. 
but like barely the second mm-hmm. generation. I feel like he's at the end the of the first generation. That's so cool. Yeah, so he's like OG, OG USA, OG Pope. And so apparently in these ideals of this University of Virginia with these Thomas Jefferson ways, um, they have strict rules against gambling, horses, Horses. guns, tobacco, it just says horses, (laughs) racing horses, it just says horses in general. They're against gambling, horses, guns, tobacco, and alcohol. Wow. But these rules were like generally ignored. Yeah. Jefferson enacted a system of student self-government, allowing students to choose their own studies, make their own arrangements for boarding, and report all wrongdoing to faculty. And the unique system was in chaos and had a high <laughs> dropout rate. I'm just picturing, like, um, us running Animal House. Yeah, I'm just picturing Animal House with people running around like drinking. Yeah, yeah, their asses off, totally. smoking all the to tobacco they've got in old Virginia, <laughs> token up, and <laughs> riding their horses, oh, shooting guns in the air, <laughs> and betting on it. Well, you here know? at UW Madison, <laughs> shit used to go mad. Like they did a whole ass like ski sledding thing, like onto the lake, like a ski jump down Bascom and onto like when was like this? a really long, like the 1800s 1900s oh like okay. a long cool. fucking time ago but i feel like my mom even has fun stories about i i went Madison sledding down Bascom with a stolen lunch tray but i mean allegedly <laughs> that's 100 percent what my yeah. mom did she totally did that i remember her telling me that's like a, that. a legendary thing you have to do that's so funny. Uh, love it. Um, so anyway, that's the college that Poe went to. And during his time there, he became estranged from his foster father over those gambling debts Aww. that he has. And Poe, so like his foster father, Alan, is like, Poe has all these gambling issues and that's why I don't give him any money. And Poe's over here being like, Alan was supposed to give me money to register for classes and purchase my textbooks and help me procure and furnish a dormitory and he's done nothing so they each have their like own version of events where like alan's like here's why i'm not providing the money and poe's like here's why i need the money like you know so they're they're Mm -hmm. estranged been there and <laughs> mom i really need to estrangement buy, we've all been like, there groceries and then i go and buy a bottle of Bernat's. like you know what i mean <laughs> it's part of my nutrition yeah. antioxidants um, <laughs> um so poe's debts are increasing he's a gambler and um he gave up on the university after a year and didn't really feel welcome returning to Richmond. So apparently he went to college. He like, what did he do? He got engaged to this girl with the last name of Royster. And then when he got back from school, he found out she was already engaged to someone else and like married. So she totally was like, sorry, Edgar, you were gone. Got married. That's what happens when you study abroad. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so he was really oh. sad. She married well, someone else. Good for her. Um, so then he felt gross about being in Virginia. So he moved to Boston in 1827. 
and sustained himself with odd jobs as a clerk and a newspaper writer. And he started using the pseudonym Henry Le René during this period. Fun. T. Yeah, that is T. T, T, T. And T, T, T. And so, long story short, he enlists in the <gasps> army. Wow. What a theme. Under the name Edgar A. Perry. So people wouldn't know he had all this Allen I guess money there's a lot of wars in America had. or something. Oh my God! Literally, all of these authors <laughs> have had Nam, World War Two, fucking Spanish I don't know what's American? going on in eighteen twenty-seven. Yeah, probably. Shit, they need soldiers. It's <laughs> insane. He's twenty-two years old. War is won on the backs of eighteen to twenty-two-year-old yes. men. It's fucked. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, he so first he served at Fort Independence in Boston Harbor for $5 a month. Oh, my God. A month. Oh, my God. Um, he also released his first book that year. So he must have had a lot of yeah. time if he's only making $5 yeah. a month. A 40-page collection of poetry oh. titled Tamerlane and Other Poems. And But it wasn't signed by a poet. It the book just said it was by a Bostonian. Oh. So it doesn't say <laughs> it's by nice. Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I know, like it's such a bummer to not get credit for that. Um, the book received virtually no attention. Uh, yeah. That's what it says. Um, so then he served at Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina, traveled by ship on the brig Waltham in 1827. And eventually, so he's serving in the military. Um, he eventually revealed his real name because he wanted to end his five-year enlistment uh-huh. early. And his commanding officer, Lieutenant Howard, would only let Poe be discharged if he would reconcile with his foster dad, John Allen. Because by now they're still estranged because of their money things. And his enlisting, his commanding officer was like, you're only allowed to leave if you fix that. Which I think is so wholesome. (laughs) Bringing families back together. And so... Poe writes to Alan, and Alan was totally unsympathetic. Um, but then a couple months pass, and Edgar Allan Poe still writes to Aww. his foster dad, like, regularly. And apparently his foster mother oh, dies, no. and only then, only then does his foster dad yeah, relent and say, sure, you can family. come home and we'll make amends. Yeah. Yes. And so then Poe is discharged and visits, or no. I don't think he's discharged yet, but he visits the day after her oh. burial. So. It's really sad. Yes. And. Yeah. Oh, my God. This podcast is going to be three hours We're literally long. at so 245. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. Crazy. I'm, like, looking at my schedule. I'm like, holy shit. Um, so, basically, he gets discharged. He kind of does it on purpose. I think he does some fucky shit because they don't let him leave. And then, eventually, he just, like, stops uh, showing up to things and then they're like all right dude you're done <laughs> he marries his first cousin Ew. when he's like 36 and she's 13 <gasps> no it's disgusting that's very very bad his first cousin i know Fuck. and he publishes more books and then he has like a second wife but i think his cousin is the one who lasts the longest but then she dies of consumption too and eventually okay he publishes all of his stuff i really am kind of when done talking about how? edgar Allan poe okay so 
Once his first cousin dies, he's very unstable. His wifey. Um, he tries to court this poet named Sarah Helen Whitman, and she's like not about it because he's a drunk and he's got he's like really yeah. erratic, and um. So apparently, on October 3rd, (gasps) the day after your birthday, in 1849, Poe was found delirious on the streets of Baltimore in great distress (laughs) and in need of immediate. That's my energy. Maybe maybe that should be the name of the podcast. In great distress and in need of immediate assistance. Let's do that one instead. I love it. Um, so no, maybe not. Joseph that could be w. seen Walker. as a cry for help. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we should do the other one. I already forgot what the other suitable one was. for I'm general consumption. Right I've had two really unsu- yeah suitable. Oh, suitable. Yes, I've, I've had two really I, they big were glasses of red like wine. Big. like fully to the brim. They were full, full <laughs> glasses. Um, so then after he was found delirious and in great distress and in need of immediate assistance, he was taken to the Washington Medical College where he oh, died he did. on Sunday, October 7th, 1849. He was 40. <laughs> <laughs> I just like spit it. We're terrible. Like drunk. <laughs> I'm not that drunk. But at, at five o'clock in the morning. So it was a it was an early he bird died death. at forty. <laughs> so weird. Everybody at must 40 have forty. In let me look. In let me look at the lifespan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at the average lifespan. I guarantee you, this dude undercut that. Like he brought the average down. Average forty years lifespan, old. He died. Eighteen forty. What? Forty-two. Forty-nine. Oh, I don't get what this means. It was between 30 and 40. So he was old. So he lived a long life. (laughs) I feel like such a jerk for laughing. It says ranging from between 38 and 44 years for both sexes combined. So he was pretty much exactly average. (laughs) Is it wrong for me to think that's hilarious that people... Like, people were old when they died at 44 back then. I think it's kind of funny. I'm sorry, Ed. I think it's... We really like your writing. <laughs> Stop it. I hope to keep screenshotting this. Um, apparently, his last words were, Lord, help oh, my poor soul. Oh, no, that's not funny at all. Poor man. Oh, I my know God, it's that's poor so man. sad and scary. Um, so here's here's it's not funny, but it's it's humorous to me because people knew jack uh-huh. shit back then. Like, I mean, yeah, the, his his like cause of death is so not well <laughs> reported. So newspapers at the time said that Poe's death was, quote, congestion of the brain, congestion. unquote, whatever the fuck that means, or, quote, ce- cerebral inflammation, oh. unquote, blood. Which were apparently common euphemisms for death from disreputable causes such as yeah. alcoholism, whatever. Mm. But then other people speculate that he had heart de- heart disease, epilepsy, well, syphilis. Syphilis seems more accurate because he was acting del- like mani- manic. Cholera like, or rabies. He, yeah, so. like I'd ha- we'd have to know the symptoms. <laughs> 
I know. And people can only speculate. Apparently, like, all his death certificates and stuff were, oh, like, destroyed. So people don't really know. But anyway, if you don't know, now you know. Poe was, like, a gothic writer. Um, when he got out of the military, he kept writing. But he always had some weird streaks in him. And obviously, his career was short. He only yeah. lived to be 40. So, so. sorry about it, Ed. During his oh, lifetime, God. though, he was mostly recognized as a literary critic, oh. not so much as a writer, but a lot of, he was recognized for his writing more I mean, after he passed. Like, honestly, so. truly the OG, we all learn about him. His writing is pretty much basic, like, um, style and, what am I trying to say? It's a, it's a good foundation for learning and creating your own art. So that's why we learn about it in high school, I think. Oh, yeah. I just want to read a couple of these blurbs about people okay. sized uh Poe. William <gasps> Butler uh, was occasionally... Oh, T, I don't know who he is. But he occasionally was critical of Poe and once called him <laughs> and He's an Irish poet. Transcendentalist. Oh, nice. Transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson reacted to The Raven by saying, quote, I see nothing in it. Oh, unquote. my God. <laughs> And once referred to Poe as the Jingle Man, Hello? which like I don't know what that means, and if that's supposed that's to be a an syphilis insult, joke, <laughs> but I think it's hilarious. Oh, I don't know. That is a joke. Like... <laughs> jingle you know, Man, Jingle Man over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Stop! We... If you post any of these photos, I'm gonna fucking cut off your wife's finger. <laughs> Yeah, I'm quitting. Quitters Incorporated. Um, so yeah, that was it for me. Stephen King, Ray Bradbury, um, Edgar Allan Poe. Also, why? Why Gwynn, the dude who lived in this house that I'm in right now? I'm like fucked up thinking about this dude who lived here. I know. I talked about. If I read that book shortly about Ed Gein, kill me. Sure, and then about yes, Ed. What's his last name? Ed Kemper. <laughs> and then Ed Kemper, Ted baby. And that's our Halloween yes. episode, though. I'm so sorry. I'm oh, sorry. This shit. is three hours we long. To, we need to do something about that. Well, maybe not. <laughs> we had a. I I might be able to edit it down to like two and a half. Yeah, but like that would take a lot of work. I know, we'll but. <laughs> If we you're cut what honestly I just said about here, it down. we need so to think of go. a new hashtag for these type of people who are honestly here to the end. The people who are here at the end of this three-hour episode, it's hashtag happy Halloween Haley. Come on, dude. <laughs> Spooky, scary, CC all year. No, it's hashtag happy if Halloween Haley. No one if will anyone ever, actually ever, ever does do that. that. Oh, you know Alonso will. You well, know I did snap will. Noah about 10 minutes ago, and he said, I will take whatever I can, <laughs> because he just sits at work and listens to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know he'll listen, and Alonso always listens, because he's yeah, freaking yes. best. Shout out to our friends who did Spooky Scary Cece. Shout out to Victor. Thank you so much. Shout out to us for doing making it through this three-hour podcast <laughs> somehow. Shout oh out to yeah, Graham, babe. who will hopefully well, Graham, listen to this, this anyway. <laughs> hashtag Happy Halloween, Haley. 
There's no yeah. way. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> I'll edit this tomorrow and send we'll this see. to him. And he'll post it on Wednesday. So, yeah, the this is an episode. Happy Halloween. Stay safe. Happy Murder Halloween. rates are high on Halloween and on New Year's. So, be safe. Spooky, scary, safe. Be safe. Don't trust. Yeah, be spooky, scary, safe. Don't don't trust don't people trust in masks. Anyone, like. if anyone's following you, don't get into scary cars. Always check your Uber license plate number and the make and model. And all ask of the them to tell you. Hell, your even name. look at the little. Yes. Yeah. Always, always verify those things. Thank you for. We listening. love you guys. Um, listen, rate us on oh, Apple yes. Podcast all the jazz we love it and we love you guys for listening and thanks um thanks for being as interested in these artists as we are like (laughs) it's weird tracking back these influences but you can freaking see it all these people are nuts we always cover like the weirdest people that's why but it's cool to learn about them that's why we're talking about them yes I think it helps inform oh, yeah. other artists. Like, you know. I have a lot of ideas of who I'm going right. to do next. So uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned and make requests if you have and them. Because I will do I them. I might. At case in point, Victor's request for tonight. I'm never going to do Akon. <laughs> fuck so you, fuck you, Noah. No. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Good night. Goodbye.